two elite series champions from two totally different countries, one from Canada, one from Australia. Today, they unify and come together to make what may be the nicest fishing podcast in the history of, well, fishing podcasts. Bassmaster Classic qualifiers, Jeff Gustafson and Carl Jacobson join me this week on... Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Welcome one, welcome all friends, family, freeloaders, fishing freaks. You're all welcome here at the Awkwardly Honest Fishing Podcast that goes by my last name, which is Mercer. Hope you're having a good week, and um, hopefully this podcast makes it a little bit better. For those of you that want more, you definitely got a lot more this week. I mean, not only is this maybe the nicest podcast ever, it's so nice that nobody knew when to stop talking. Um, it is also the longest podcast that we've ever done. But that's the beautiful part about uh, the socials of media. You can chunk this up however you want. If you got to listen to it in two parts, in three parts, four parts, whatever you want, it's all up to you. So break this bad boy up, and uh, I hope you enjoy it, because this podcast is truly an emotional roller coaster. I mean, two amazing anglers on this week's show, and two of my favorite guys in the Elite Series, two of the most popular guys in the Elite Series. But we go through a bunch of stuff. I mean, they just got back from an incredible trip to Australia, um, which we talk about a bunch, but we get into tournaments, the future of tournaments, what they've had to overcome, the international invasion on tournaments. It's, it's, it, it goes everywhere. It is an emotional roller coaster. Um, but like I said, chop her up however you like, and, and that's how we'll deliver it to you. But while you're at it, give us a thumbs up. Subscribe if you haven't. A hundred, we're just under 180,000 YouTube subscribers. Yes, yes, you're right. Just a few months ago, I was uh, all stoked about the 100,000 subscribers. And we're 20,000 subscribers away from 200,000 subscribers. And and as my friends in Dart say, you know, hopefully by the end of this week, we'll hit 180. Because let's be honest, that's probably what I'd be doing for a living if it wasn't for Bassmaster events. And I'd actually like, I mean, if anybody's looking for somebody to call bingo or um, I'd like to get into the dart game. I mean, I don't know anything about it, but I can do a 180. Anyways, I should stop talking because this podcast long enough, but uh, there is some juice, some meat in this podcast. And I hope you guys all have a great week and um, you enjoy it without further ado. Carl Jacobson and Jeff Gustafson. So guys, I may be committing podcast suicide because um, the podcast world, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, it does really well when there's controversy and, and anger. And I've invited what I think most anglers on the elite series would vote as the two nicest bass fishing pros in the business. So this may really suck, but thanks for joining me. Thanks, mate. <laughs> we I never suck, Dave. Come on. No, no, no. Yep. No, you don't suck, but you're you're nice. Like, I mean, suck's not a very nice word either. Suck? Does that offend you? Are you offended now, Gussie? That sucks. 
<laughs> now that we're back from Australia, I'll call you what an Aussie would call you. <laughs> A good... uh, yeah, well, there was well, a lot of... We said a word that rhymes with suck a lot over uh, 10 days fishing over there. And, um, you know, so we are nice guys, but, uh, but we'll try and keep it entertaining for you here. All right. All right. And uh, I'm sure there was a few, a uh, few mad bunts, bunting, a thing in baseball that uh, not a, a much different thing in uh, Australia with the silent C, of course, the bunt. <laughs> uh, yeah, I or, learned. Uh, or silent P, I, learned- I, guess. I don't know. Definitely learned some new language from the boys over there. Um, and it, it was, uh, it was very entertaining. And, uh, you know, I got, I spent the second part of the, sh- the trip with Shelby and, uh, you know, got scolded a couple times for my language. <laughs> so, so that, that there's a, there's a, uh, a thing right now after Gussie left, they, they had told him that ABT tournaments, that whole tournament organization, if Gussie <laughs> drops some of these words on Bassmaster Live, that that and, and he got a fine, that the ABT guys would put a pool together and pay for the fine. <laughs> Matt so, Robertson is booking a trip to Australia right now. Yes. Yeah. Gussie has a get, get out of free jail card ready to go. <laughs> he can yeah. do whatever he wants. <laughs> Are swear words more offensive coming out of your guys' mouth? You know what I mean? Like if I drop an F-bomb or Seth or somebody, like I don't think people are that shocked, but but you guys are so squeaky clean. Uh, is it more offensive when you swear? I actually like swearing, and I I, I, I like it a fair amount. So, <laughs> we enjoy um, it. But I don't take it seriously, you know. I, I uh, But I do like swearing, and Carl does too. <laughs> You got it like around the right crowd. I think I'm good at like judging or uh, picking my, you know, the crowd that you're around. And I think you have to be good at that because when I'm having dinner with grandma and granddad at home or there's a bunch of kids, then, then, you know, and then when you're around, when me and Gussie were on the boat together, barra fishing, (laughs) it it got pretty wild out there. There was very few words in between those words. (laughs) And Gussie understood you could make a whole sentence out of those words in Australia and understand it perfectly. Dave, Carl's posted like several videos, you know, since we've been home from our, from the trip. And I, I comment on every one of them telling him how great of a job he did editing the videos because there was a lot of language that had to be removed or like covered up with music or cut or, but he made some pretty nice videos and they're, they're all appropriate for all ages, but Naturally, good editor is key. A good editor is key. So what did you guys do? Um, I could say it in my words, but uh, you guys went for the, you know, well, maybe for Gussie, the trip of a lifetime, but but Carl, you just went home. Tell, tell me what went down. And uh, for people who haven't been following along, let them know what you guys did. Well, I can give you a bit, uh, just a rundown of how it sort of went. Basically, in Australia, um, one of our tours um, is called, or the, the main tour, basically the Bassmaster of Australia is called ABT, Australian Bass Tournaments. And off of that is ba- it's ABT, so it's Barra Tournaments as well, which is our big Barramundi. And it's Brim Tournaments as well, which is a, um, a saltwater brim that we have that lives Australia-wide. And they're actually the biggest tournaments in Australia because they're Australia-wide. Bass tournaments are a little bit smaller 
And then the Barra tour is, um, it's pretty cool because you literally do a tour um, of all of these different lakes. As you travel, you fish with a team partner. There's generally a um, good amount of teams and it's sort of very social and it's gentlemen's hours and you, you fish with your best mate basically and you catch these, try and catch these giant barramundi and the fishing's just unbelievable. And so we've been talking about it for years, trying to get, um, you know, some guys from America or Canada over. And uh, it all worked out perfectly where Rapala Australia and Hummingbird Australia um, and ABT put it together. And I was able to invite Gussie over to fish as a team. And we put a team together and uh, we fished uh, four events in that Barra tour. And so Gussie literally flew from Canada into Brisbane. I flew uh, Atlanta, LA into Brisbane. We met up, um, ABT organized a truck and a boat for us. Um, my cousin got a lot of gear. Um, my, some of my sponsors put gear together. Me and Gussie flew our reel, flew with our reels and some new tackle from here. And we jumped in the truck and we literally, we took off and, and, uh, and did this, did the barra tour together. And uh, we fished three different lakes, uh, four different sessions. And uh, literally, I, we had some of the best barra fishing that I've ever even had in my life. So Gussie wow. really got Gussie got the really the experience and trip of a lifetime. And I and over me catching them, I enjoyed just finally getting to show someone from over here um, how I grew up and where I grew up and how the fishing and how special that fishing is. And the idea is to hopefully open it up to more people over here and. Um, in the years to come, get you and Brandon and some more um, people from over here on the elites to come over and experience it. But very cool to see. Uh, I can tell you how awesome it is, all I can, but it was cool to um, hear from Gussie and his experience coming from another country. Gussie, before you talk to me about Australia, tell me how much that <laughs> flight must have sucked. Because that's the, <laughs> I've literally wanted to go there my whole life. And, and, and then I look and how expensive those freaking pods are. And I'm like, I, I mean, there's no way I'm going to Australia. Um, <laughs> at what point? Like, I mean, I feel like I would, you'd go through a lot of emotions in one of those flights. Yeah. The, the literally the only uh, bad part of the trip was the flight over there. Um, the way back actually wasn't as bad. I mean, maybe I was just prepared for it a little bit more, but yeah, for me flying from Vancouver to Sydney, it was like uh, 15 hours and 50 minutes, I think. Um, wow. But yeah, it's a rough, it's a rough, but you, you know, once you're there, like everything was top notch. And like, since we've been home, Shelby's been telling people like when they, you know, like everyone's been asking about the trip. And like, I think she said it to you even um, like I would move there. That's what she's been telling yeah. people. Like we, we really had like the best time. Um, and obviously um, we were, we were kind of like the guests for the trip and everyone was, was very gracious and, and good to us. But, um, but no, the weather was awesome. The food was top notch, um, the best coffee I've ever had. And then the fishing was so fun. So, um, you know, yeah, it was just, it was, a, it was just an awesome, awesome time. Every time I've heard you talk about this, I mean, when we talked yesterday, you mentioned that the coffee, what, what is so special? I mean, I guess I don't understand because my addictive substances have a better high than coffee. I do not drink coffee. Uh. Well, so I'm a bit of a coffee snob. Like I like good coffee for sure. And uh, you never, we never saw one single drip coffee machine over there. It's all espresso machines. And 
if you go into a gas station, like the guy behind the till has a machine behind him, like he's going to make you a good coffee. Like it's not like the crap we have in gas stations in North America. Like the coffee's so good. Like, um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that funniest one was when we were heading back from Airlie to the lake and I'm like, <laughs> Oh man, there's not much. We're in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, I think we've passed everything. And then this sketchy little um servo we call them gas station servos on the left and i'm like oh they'll have coffee in here we pull in we go in it's just the tiniest one one dude standing behind the counter and uh there's it's quite busy and there's people coming in they're just trying to buy fuel and gussie's like you know <laughs> vanilla latte large with like <laughs> this stuff and the guy literally turns around and makes him like the greatest coffee you've ever seen like while he's while he's running people through fuel, just pours the perfect coffee. And I'm like, this is crazy. I forgot how good it was. Like every place has a legitimate guy that'll make you a good coffee. There's a lot yeah. of scary people in gas stations that we go to that I would not want making. I wouldn't no. want them opening a soda for me. Never mind making a coffee. <laughs> yeah. Gussie, a trip like that, I would think almost risks an opportunity of being a letdown in the way that like the bear of history Australia is so hyped, it, you know, from what we've seen on this end of things better as good or way out, out of the, out of the world, you know, and what your expectations way, was way better than I could have imagined. Really? Like the very first one I like the first night we went out and you know, Carl's been like, talking to me about it, pumping it up for, you know, for months leading into this. So the first night we go out and we kind of had got a little bit of a late start and, you know, just sort of getting acclimated with the boat and the gear and, um, you know, just sort of seeing what, what the guys yeah. are doing. Um, so he, he catches a couple and like, okay, cool. And then the very first one, like I find, I only caught one the first night and I think Carl caught three and we had a few other bites but you know it was just like a good to get out in the boat kind of thing but the very first one i hook i set the hook dude and within like two seconds the fish is like seven feet in the air and it's dark out but the moon's pretty bright and i'm just like are you kidding me and like the hardest bite i've ever got from a fish and wow i mean most of them are you know probably between like 18 and 25 pounds and they get a lot bigger but like that's your average size and like they, they would all like pull a muskie backwards for, you know, like kind of our, our, you know, big freshwater, most popular big fish in North America. Like they, they just would pull a muskie backwards. So um, just tough. And I mean, they broke a lot of our tackle and open split rings and straighten hooks and um, just, yeah, like so fun. Like, and then when you catch one, like the bite was just so hard. Um, you just want to like, get another bite like it was I, I don't know how to explain it other than that wow it sounds it sounds addictive um is it always at night so the the fishing barra what barra do in general is through the day they get in positions and they sit in the one area and they'll sort of just hang out they won't move a ton they'll float they'll suspend or they'll sit and so they're kind of hard to catch 
through the day. And with technology and sounders and live and everything, it's getting easier to catch them through the day. And you can catch them if the wind's good and you got a new moon and certain things. The day fishing's great. And we caught a bunch in a day. But the last hour of the afternoon and into the night, they start moving and they literally start swimming or like doing loops. They're, they're, they're just on the move and they're hunting and the fishing just becomes a lot better because you've got more fish more frequently. And so um, in North Australia, because we're on the other side of the hemisphere, it's hot in the North. And so the barra only live in the North. And so when we first got up there, the daytime temperatures were like 36, 37. Um, yeah, through the day. And so if you had a full day tournament, you would be destroyed. And the sun in Australia, I like, it's out of control, like what you can, you, you can't sunbake for 15 minutes or you can't be like, oh, I'll take my shirt off. It will cook you, it'll fry you. So um, a lot of the sessions are four o'clock until midnight. So that gives you a little bit of heat in the afternoon, bit of daytime, and then it goes into the night. And that's generally why it's just better for the fish, better for the angler. And so that's another reason the Baratour is so cool. It's like gentlemen's hours. You're like, sleep in you get up you make a big breakfast everyone talks about the night the fishing it's very social everyone makes coffee bacon and eggs and then you start rigging tackle and you start literally going through your tackle okay they straightened this treble they ripped this split ring off they tore this up they chewed through a hundred pound leader and you just start rigging and making everything like 10 times stronger than you did the night before and it almost took Gussie and I about a week like I already know so I already had everything beefed up and they destroyed all of that and we end up going even heavier than what I had in the past that's pretty cool wow it um though it's a whole different type of fit like it, it almost whenever I see that kind of fishing I'm like why does anyone watch bass tournaments like why do we even get excited about it because I mean did yeah. There's no bass that you're really worried about straightening out your hooks and stuff like that. I mean, it sounds like Golden Dorado fishing. Yeah, dude, like, um, so, like, I met, a, you know, met a bunch of the guys over there, and, like, they're all my favorite people to follow on Instagram now it are, like, the, the boys that I met over there, and, like, I'm just loving all their Barra pictures and stories, and, uh, you know, that was the other great thing about the trip, like, just top-notch group of of people and uh like they all wanted to help us i mean we're in tournaments but like they're all like helping us giving us you know try this split ring try these treble hooks um you know come and fish by us like just it was it was pretty cool like everyone was friendly if you needed a beer like they had a beer for you <laughs> after fishing um just yeah it was it was that that just like made the trip that much better too I've never, I, I've honestly never met a grumpy, like I'm sure there's assholes in Australia, just like everywhere, but most Australians I've ever met in my life, literally are some of the kindest people I've ever met. Are they all kind, Carl? Or are you just, is it just generations trying to make up for their criminal backgrounds? <laughs> no, there's definitely, uh, there's definitely a few oddballs in there that'll, uh, that'll give us a bad name, but um it's probably like anywhere, you know, but in general, but like, I find all Americans and Canadians super nice too. Like I, I, you know, and then you have the odd ones too, like the majority are, are, are amazing. Um, but, you know, 
that what Gussie just said is ABT, um, Australian Bass Tournaments, their motto, so, you know, Bassmasters motto, you know, you know, big stage, big bass, big dreams or, and stuff like that over their whole life. ABT's motto ever since I was a kid when I first started, their motto was who shares wins. That was, that's their wow. motto. And so that's what I grew up with. And, and so um, ever since I was a kid and, and, you know, what was funny is it kind of hurt me coming over here because I learned some pretty harsh lessons that it wasn't like that over here. It was, <laughs> it I remember was, uh, a few. Yeah. And so <laughs> there, there were, <laughs> who shares does, comes last. That time um, with Boyd Duckett? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about you. I wasn't sharing that. <laughs> that was a mis <laughs> misinformation there. Um, but, um, I'm impressed, Gussie. I'm yeah. really impressed. <laughs> <laughs> um so um that what what it is is the aussies that it, you know, we're fishing for two thousand dollars five hundred dollars you know and that that it wasn't sheep stations is what we would call it um we were fishing for uh, the passion and the love of it and the prizes weren't big so um you know, me growing up, when I became good and I was starting to really do well in the tournaments, I'd be rigging tackle in my boat and there'd be 15 people around me that were fishing the tournament. And I'd just rig all of my stuff and be like, yeah, I'm using a half ounce jig head with this play. Like I would tell everyone. And, um, and then gut and, you know, Gussie and I share a lot of information. So it feels good because we like talking about fishing and, and that's what, um, you really felt in Australia when we went back is like there was just big groups of guys and you were just there was just stories getting told and then when something would come up it'd be like oh I don't use that split ring I use this one try this stinger would be rig and tackle and everyone was just sharing and you know a couple times we were literally we went past the winners of the Faust crown and we we're within a cast distance of them and that we didn't know that they were the, like the local guns and we were right there and um and and then they were like man if you guys just stopped right there you would have like been competing with us anywhere that day but they end up winning and we come 18th and then they said just and then the next day was a different tournament and they said hey just camp on a tree near us and you'll smash them and that's what we did like no one's ever gonna say that like in any tournament they're just like they're just like yeah and then told us what they're doing how they're doing it like the amount of info that we got on graphs and sounders and baits it was just a flood of it and that's one of the reasons i actually enjoy going home so much you come back with a big lot of ideas to to use here yeah refreshed gussie mm. what was the reaction because I know Carl's just going to be like, oh, it's great. You know, I have friends there and they support me. But what what is the following that I mean, I I only know it from what happens on the Internet every time he's on live. So what was it like to experience the uh, fandomanium that is around Carl Jacobson there? Yeah, I mean, uh, all the guys were coming to get photos with them and just and just encourage them. I mean, it wasn't like. Once we were like all the fishing guys were, it was just, you were around regular people, you know, yeah. it wasn't, um, they, everyone was just cool and, and wanted to ask them questions. And there's, there's actually a big group that's, that are coming over for the classic in Knoxville. And like, we need to get, he needs, Carl's got to get in touch with Emily and like somehow arrange a section for all of them to sit in. Cause it's going to, they're going to be the funnest people that we have at the classic for sure. And it, even though there's going to be like, 
a strong Canadian contingent down there, but uh, I'm excited to see these guys come and, um, and experience the classic. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a big project for them to come over to Tennessee oh, yeah. for the weekend from Australia. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm excited to see that, but now they, uh, they're all, you know, it, 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 it sort of speaks to like the reach that Bassmaster has that everyone over there can watch him, watch Carl when he does well in the events. And, um, and yeah, they're, they're his biggest fans for sure. Um, you know, it was, it was pretty neat, neat to see. And there's, you know, there's Tommy Wood is his name, but a young guy that we met over what there. What a handle. My name's yeah. Tommy. Tommy yeah. Wood. <laughs> <laughs> You like that? Well, I'm gonna use you know, that one day. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I like it. Um, but but like you know, obviously, you know how you can, you know, uh, you can just tell when you when somebody's good at fishing, like just yeah. by talking to them and being around them for a few minutes and seeing their equipment. And uh, you know, we uh, we got to stay with him for most of the most of the trip, and 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 there was a number of really good anglers that we were around, but. He, he has the bug to come over and sort of follow in Carl's footsteps and he's blazed the way for him a little bit. And, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see him get that chance, but he's coming over for the classic and uh, but yeah, it was neat, you know, pretty awesome to see everyone um, just proud, proud of what he's Carl's done over here. Yeah. I mean, we talk about how amazing it is, but, but I guess for you, Carl, going home there has got to give you, such a i mean i i would feel like you'd leave there energized because getting facebook posts and whatever is one thing but to see the amount of support that you have behind you and number one see your family for the first time you know since before covid um yeah i mean it must have been an emotional trip for you yeah it was it was for sure you know just getting off that plane and and uh just being you know and no matter how much I live here, I was 26, 27 years. I lived in Australia. I'd never yeah. left the country and um, established a lot. And so when I, um, I never feel like, you know, when like where you live and if we went up there, you feel so comfortable where you've grown up, where you've lived, about the lakes, about how things work. That's how I feel in Australia. When I step foot, I'm like, oh, I'm in my home country, you know, and as much as I love being here and this is where I, I, I want to be and love it, it's so hard to get that that comfort feeling back again and just having your your family and your friends and all of those people around so it was emotional because we had Riv and my mum hadn't got to see River and and um and a lot of a lot of that but it as much as the social media support as that I get um nothing replaces eye contact handshake seeing people and seeing the emotion and seeing all of um the the support they have for me um right there and then and it, it gives you just this giant boost of like i'm doing the right things I'm, I'm i'm doing everything that i'm supposed to be doing and and i can see it and then you know it come back over here and it's just like a big rocket and you're ready to go again and i had some incredible stories like one one we were sitting on the grass and we were having we stopped at a pie shop in the middle of nowhere and someone saw that i was eating a pie on the grass with Riv and Kayla and we're just chilling and this guy saw the truck and boat and been following on social media and um and he pulled over and he came up and he sort of he said hey Carl I don't want to you know interrupt you with your family and he started talking and he said um he got super emotional and and he was like man you know I was he, he said some you know some stuff where he was like man I wouldn't be here um 
right now, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't even be alive. He's like, your story, your win, fear my heart, all of this wow. stuff. It's helped me to push forward. And like, just, and like, I got choked up and he's just like unloading. And then right where we were was Monduran Dam. And it's a Barra Dam, um, pretty close. And he said, when you won, he's like, I was the only one that had service in the whole park. And he said, all the campers and all the fishermen all came over to his laptop and they watched me win 10 killer and so he's showing me photos um, of all of them in his camp with this Bassmaster screen up on his laptop and um and as wow. he's showing me the photos he's just like and he's just getting all fired up and he's just telling me their stories and then I'm like hey you know I got the trophy in the truck and he's like no way and so like literally 20 minutes from where that happened and all the stories he got out and we got the trophy yeah and he held it over his head and we got pictures and there's just that sort of stuff is just priceless to me and so lucky to be able to experience it it's pretty cool that's an incredible story um yeah uh, and and to to run into him just random like that and yeah. and another term that you'll never hear i mean never in a nike and Ali interview am i gonna hear you know i stopped at a pie shop <laughs> <laughs> No matter what, this is this is the frustrating thing about Gussie. We went to the greatest pie shops in all of Australia where they did pies. That's what they did. And everyone, I was like, oh, Gussie, they do a they do a good pie here. This would be the place to get it. Gussie'd be like, yep, okay, next minute, no pie on the plate. He's ordered something else. He would not delve into the pie. I was like, he just wouldn't try it. Don't like the yeah, pie, I Gussie? I wish I did now. I got to well, <laughs> next time. I'm, it's at the top of the list. <laughs> you mightn't be alive if you tried it. It might have been a good call. <laughs> what? Uh, so, so break down the tournaments. How would you guys do? Did you win anything or did you do well or did you embarrass the Bass <laughs> Angler Sportsman Society? I'm sure we, you held, we held we our own. Good. We did yep. pretty good. Uh, we got a, thir a third a sixth uh 18th and a sixth so and the the first event that we got third in we had, we probably had the fish on we could have won that one um we lost a couple heartbreakers that just you know destroyed our equipment um but uh but no we did all right you know considering and and the, we're fishing against the best barra anglers in in australia i mean it's these guys got like the best electronics and equipment and i mean it was pretty impressive seeing um, just like all the big screen graphs that everyone has on their boats. And, um, you know, guys are using 5,000 size Stella's and um, the best equipment you can get. I mean, it was, it was pretty impressive seeing, seeing all that stuff. And, um, you know. The, um, so the, the, the cool part about going home this time was um I grew up my whole life right up until this trip with zero um, mapping on any of our lakes. I've never seen a contour on an inland lake in Australia in my whole life. So I grew wow. up just lining up trees and all of my spots for barra, for bass, everything is like the fence line school, the hump, you, all these things that you had to line up. And so we get there and hummingbird have mapped the lakes just recently like within a under a year and we it's called coastmaster and so they had the mapping like high definition mapping on the three lakes that we were fishing and so the first night a few of our mates had been fishing there and they were like hey come to this grass spot that we found there's some barra there try and get gussie's first one 
And uh, so we go out there and we've only got a few hours into the night and I catch three and Gussie catches his first barrel. And so it was cool. And the boys caught one or two each. It was, it was decent. And so the next afternoon we go out and I get on, I put the mapping up and started looking at it just like what we would here, you know, just like looking for all these little things. And I'm like, okay, there's school of barrel there. I'm looking at all this stuff. And I see this big subtle point way out in the sort of the middle of nowhere. I'm like, oh, that looks so kind of sneaky. It's like something that no one would see. So I idle it and see this big grass clump on the points, like isolated. We stop and fish it for a bit and there's nothing. And I'm like, yeah, that could be good late this afternoon. So we go and fish the rest of the day, hardly catch a barra. And then an hour before dark, we go back and I put the trolling motor down, 360 clicks in, and there's literally like dozens of barra just coming around and swimming around this point. And we, I was just started watching some of the footage, Gussie, where that one eats it at the trolling motor. And then, and it's mm -hmm. like, uh, and then it was probably the best barra session that I've had on the empowerments. And so we are just catching them like every cast, you're getting a bite, a fish. And me and Gussie just light them up for like hours. It just doesn't stop. And then I message the other boys, our mates, Tim and that, that were sort of, we were staying with. And I'm like, are you guys smashing them? And they're like, nah, we haven't caught a barra. And I'm like, you better get over here now. So they drive over, stop. And in like an hour, they catch 10. And I'm wow. like, and I'm like, I go, I go, all right, boys. Like, I think this is the winning spot. Like we need to stop. And they're like, F that. And they're all like casting in there. And I'm like, <laughs> they're like, just catch him. And I'm like, we got to stop. It's, this is a good spot. And then they get a triple hookup, Gussie, Tim and Matt triple hooked up on Barra. And uh, that was one of the photos that you see. And I'm like, all right, that's enough. We're going in. And um, pretty much that was, that was how it went for us then on each lake. Gussie and I could look at that mapping and we found all of these incredible spots by just, I had the mapping. I was, we got to fish all these spots that guys weren't fishing or we literally fished how we would over here. And it was so cool just to relate it. And like one of the nights, everyone caught one barra, no barra, lots of no barra. And um, the odd one here and then, and me and Gussie come in, we're like, oh, we hooked 12, landed seven, four over a meter. And wow. we just would get on these patterns. And that was the one that we almost won at Timbra. Um, and we just got on this point and Gussie explained the, the thing that you had to get your head around the most was how we stopped on that spot. You tell it better, but that was the thing with Gussie was trying to get his head around how many fish move on a spot and not have to move around, but he tells it good from Timbra. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and Carl tells me this before we go over there, but if you find a good spot, you just kind of camp out, you spot lock or you, if you can tie up to a tree, that's good. Um, so like, okay, fine. But way, for, you know, as a North American bass angler, way harder to do than you, than you would think. Like, you know, you pull up to a point, you make five casts, hit all the, the sexy parts of it. If you don't get a bite or see a fish onto the next one. Right. And uh, we did that a little bit pre-fishing and we caught a few. So I'm like, okay, no, let's just cover ground and find biters. Well, the first, this first event, we start doing that. And I'm like, Nick, okay, let's go to the next point. Let's go to the next point. And like, I'm fighting with Carl about where to fish. And we finally, he drives to this point where we'd caught a couple, you know, the night before pre-fishing and, um, and he sets up on it and catches one. And then, you know, a few minutes later catches another one. And then a few minutes later catches another one. And, um, and then like, okay, I see what you're, I see what we're doing here now. And, and that made the rest of the time a lot easier, but that night, 
Um, you know, I, I thought I was, you know, I can, I can catch some of these things. Well, he catches like four or five and loses a couple and like has all these bites. I have not had a bite all evening. It's probably like 10 o'clock and we were fishing from four in the afternoon until midnight. So we got a couple hours left and I'm like, I I've been using this swim bait that, uh, the night, you know, the night before it was a good, it had a little, like an orange tail on it. It was good. You know, I think I like this color. Um, and finally, like you're in the dark, so you, you, you wear a headlamp, but you don't turn it on unless you get a fish because the other anglers across the lakes aren't that big. So if your light's going off all the time, then people know that something's up, they must be catching fish. So like, you don't want to turn the light on all the time, but finally I like look at my bait in the water that I've been throwing for five hours, hours. and the tail's bent on it, or it just was a stiff one, but it's just like going sideways through the water. The tail's hardly moving. And I'm like, you idiot. And uh, I quickly like tie on another one and like my third cast, I, crack at them. I could feel the thing like, oh yeah, this is way better. And, um, and then I ended up like catching them pretty good Smashing for the last, yeah. the last couple hours. But uh, just, I, I get to learn everything. Carl does too. Like we both learn everything the hard way um with with fishing so that was just like another lesson if you know make sure that your swim bait is running nice and straight and wiggling and um any kind of fish that you're after it's a key carl how early did you notice that his swim bait was screwed up and didn't tell him <laughs> i knew i i knew from the start i tied it on <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that was the one we came third in and um yeah it was funny because that spot I, I think i caught three and then it would go quiet and on 360 you can they're so big you can see the shape of the barra coming through and so towards the end like gussie knew like i'd be like here they come and then they'd start coming through 360 and then you get locked in you just put those casts in and then just whack one of us is going to get a bite and um and that night I caught three and then it went quiet for like 30 minutes. And Gus is like, that point would be good. And I'm like, no, nah, man, this, <laughs> this point's good. They're going to keep fast. And then it's like 45 minutes, no bites, an hour, no bites. And you can tell Gus, he's just like, they got to be on that point right there. Uh, <laughs> and then, then next minute here they come and that night was the one that his mindset switched it was like they sort of come through in floods and you just have to when you have the right spot and you and you end up you find the grass and then you find an interception line where you're casting casting and then when they start coming through your casts are hitting perfect you're touching that grass you're rolling through and then that's when you get bites and then once Gussie put a good swim bait on he started, he started cracking them and <laughs> It, towards the end of the trip or through that like i had to fish as hard as i can to keep up with gussie it was super cool to see him um how fast he adapted you know and a lot of the guys over there were probably pretty um skeptical of how good we were going to do um me not being home since 2018 and you know and and so that we had that against us and then gussie a lot of people that a lot of americans that largemouth fish that get to come over the bite is so ferocious and fast that you, it's literally, it's, it's like someone just goes whack like that. And if you don't set exactly then as fast as you can, they spit it out. And then this far up your leaders chafed, like they've had it all the way down their throat and wow. got rid of it. And so a lot of, a lot of people from America are largemouth fishermen. They get that bite and your, your tendency is to delay just slightly 
Um, but Gussie got on the trigger fast and like, and then towards the end, he's just dialed once he would find a cast angle. Like I had full trust in Gussie hooking them, landing them, getting them in. And we just, they're so big and so violent. You have to work as a team. And, you know, it was just, we literally like didn't want it to end. Like by the end of the tour, it was like 10 days of fishing as hard as you possibly can. And it was just full of like, massive um fish fights blow ups bust up you just couldn't you didn't want to leave and then come in and then camaraderie all the anglers just mass laughter like to where you just couldn't breathe crying <laughs> having a few beers with everyone next morning good food rig and tackle like the whole experience is it it's pretty incredible Hey, I, I, I'm sure I drove Shelps nuts because we, we, after the fishing was done, we, we did four days at this beautiful Airbnb on the, on the, on the saltwater, had a infinity little pool, pool and everything. Oh, infinity yeah. pool, a beautiful place. But like, so we, like, I think pretty much every night at around sundown, we were in this pool and I, and I'd go to her like, and we were away from the girls you know while we were fishing pretty much for the most part and they they had fun and got to do a lot of cool stuff but we were we were apart from them and uh i'm sure i drove her nuts because every night at like sunset i'd i'd be like oh you know how good those bears are probably biting her now. <laughs> <laughs> just like you just fished for 10 days straight like really yeah but, so the the what the cool part about australia is like one of the nights on timbra it's like a it's a mountain lake um in the middle of nowhere and um and it's away from everything and it's just beautiful as timber the fishing is phenomenal gussie and i are out there and there's hardly a boat out there there's like literally we can't see a boat and we're hooking meter plus barra up until midnight just having the time of our life and there's just like no one out there and that's kind of what makes australia like so special it's like if those lakes were in America, there'd be, there would have been 200 boats on that lake at any one time, but they're just, it's so remote and so out of the way and sort of hard to get to. And um, the population so small that the fishing pressure is just way less. Uh, so cool how far are people that and get the, the compet other competitors, like how far are they traveling? Like, do they live near this or, the, or is it a hike? I mean, Carl could answer it more, but like quite a few of the guys were driving like 10 or 12 hours wow. to where we actually had the tournaments. Like they were, it was a, it was a haul. It wasn't there. And then there was obviously some guys lived local to some of the lakes too, but yeah. a lot of the guys were driving. Two of them drove 30 hours. They drove up from Victoria with their boats. Um, so, you know, Gussie and I, just Gussie and I be there, like it, it wasn't all of us, but like a part of it, you know, that they wanted to do to promote it, but the teams almost doubled from the previous year. So we got, um, you know, 40 something teams and a lot of the guys came up, you know, just to see us go against us, fish just brought it, you know, the competition. Hopefully that's what we can keep doing. But honestly, our lakes could only handle probably about 50 boats. I reckon like 40 was a lot on Kinchin. Hey, Gussie, like you could yeah. see most of the competitors on Kinchin. <laughs> Pretty crazy. Is it comparable to anything in North America? Like for people who have never caught one of these bad boys, like what, what would you compare it? A mixture of what? Well, they're very snook like. So if you've saltwater mm. fish, like they're kind of similar to a snook a little bit in their the way they look and their their mouth. Um, but uh <laughs> I don't know, like you, you almost need to have like musky tackle, but it, you can't use stuff that's that heavy. Like you have to have some as powerful and violent mm. as they are, you need to have like 
some finesse in the in your equipment as well um or they just won't bite like they're like they're they're uh yeah so they don't all bite that's for sure that's what makes it so special like if this was anything else you would be using big reels and big tackle and it would be like anything else and it would have been no interest not as much interest for me and Gussie or anyone from America that's a bass fisherman the reason it's so special is literally we're using bait cast tackle exactly like bass and like about a flipping stick and sometimes even lighter than a flipping stick um, for tackle 50 pound braid but heavy leader and so you're literally identically fishing for bass you're fishing for largemouth bass majority of the time exactly mm-hmm. like that and then when you get a bite it's the most violent psycho thing you've ever hooked in a 20 to 50 pound fish just turns the water white and you have zero control for about two minutes before you get any kind of control what's going on like it's it's just it's it's so cool for a bass fisherman to, to experience because you're in a lake like there's bass there's lily pads there's hydrilla and then there's just these giant things that eat bass tackle and you've got to use bass rods and reels and then they're just psychos that's it's so violent the bite's so violent and that first minute is just unexplainable until you experience it and then once you do it you become like a drug addict you just cannot wait to catch another bite you're like i have to get another bite and then you do whatever you can to get another bite (laughs) why are they so violent like what 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 are they eating that they, they need to eat so violently yeah, they're just mean. I don't know what it is, but they, they, um, they're a suction feeder. And so they don't come and put their mouth over. They, they inhale hard. And a lot of that, you feel a dunk, like you'll be whining. It's just like dunk. And it's so fast and hard. But then when you set the hook, everything just stops. And then they go the other way and then straight, and then straight up. Like several times, Gussie would be like, yeah. And he'd hook up and then you'd hear, you'd hear the water go. And you'd hear a bit of a, and they're in the air, you hear, choo, and then it's just silent. And then you hear, kaboom, and they hit the water. And then it's just, and then it's just thrashing. And then you're like, you still got it? Yep. And then it's another jump, another jump. And then still got it? Yep. Okay, we're on. And then you start to fight. And, you know, several times on a hundred pound mono leader, Gussie set the hook, yep, big one. And it was like, shake, shake, boom, and rub through hundred pound leader, just with their teeth, just they don't even have teeth. It's just a little bit rough. Won't even rough your skin, but they're so, you've got so much tension on them and they're so violent. They crush down and they head shake so hard that it literally just breaks hundred pound leader. Doesn't wow. cut it. It wears it to a point. And so you're trying to survive these jumps. You've got all of these different trebles on there and you're just, they're just the ultimate masters of like getting rid of like the bait in any different way. They, and then like 90 centimeters to a meter go super hard. They're super fun. And then all of a sudden, like what happened to us at Timbra is you hook a meter 15 plus, and it's a totally different animal. It's just like you get the bite and then it's like, just goes the other way a hundred miles an hour and just doesn't stop. And then everything just pulls apart on the swim bait. Wire leaders hanging out, split rings all pulled open, straightened hooks, and you just wind it back in. You're just like, I had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the most amazing things about fishing to me. And, I, and like, while you're telling the story, I keep thinking about like times when I've been in South America and peacock bass fishing and like you set your drag so tight that literally you can pull it but i mean if if you grab it with your hand you're like eh. 
And then you hook one of these freaks and your line, zoom, it's amazing. And you think of how hard you'd have to pull on that line to, you know, that's in the water. It's the power of, of big fish are truly amazing. And, and is he right? Gussie, is it addictive like drugs? Dude, you would love it. Like everyone of our friends would love it. And like, if, if someone went over there and fished for them and said they didn't like it, like I would probably not be friends with them after that. Um, so Steve, Steve Morgan, who runs the ABT, you know, events and everything, he actually took Gary Klaus fishing over there several years ago. And Gary told him that if they had Barramundi in Tennessee, he would not go to work. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like just, yeah. Like if anyone wanted to do like a bucket list, like trip, that's it, man. I mean, it was, it was, I, everything was awesome. Like it was so fun and, uh, yeah tough tough critters and um just good good times these these couple boys um uh ben and pete that they were real good characters gussie got along with them real well they were a couple of the ones that won the all-nighter so one of the tournaments we fished was an all-nighter went from four in the afternoon till eight o'clock in the morning so you literally fished all night like that's one of the like that's one of the brutal ones of it all and I had a bit of a camp from like one till four or something like that. Cause I told Gussie, like the fish don't generally bite through that, but it was mainly that we just didn't have a good spot that night. So it was, uh, that was the one we came 18th in, but uh, we come past the boys that won Ben and Pete. And um, we, we, we were just, we were probably a hundred yards from or whatever. And we're fishing and we see them hook a giant and it just comes jumping around the boat and like they hook it way out, it jumps. And then in like, 15 seconds it's next to the boat just violently going nuts and it's like in the net measure out and they're fishing again and we're just like and Gussie's like man that fish just you know came in the boat for him that's wild like that doesn't usually happen because they're just so violent and so the next day the boys are there and uh Gussie's like we're talking to him and Gus's like yeah that big how big was that big one you got and he was like oh it's 110 or 111 like a giant <laughs> And Gus is like, yeah, just it just came in, just came in on you, just came in for you, got it netted, came right to the boat, and Ben goes, I effing skull dragged it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I skull dragged dragged that. (laughs) I skull dragged that in, and (laughs) Gussie just was like lost it. But like that's what those boys like. They had their drags locked, and they have everything beefed up, and they don't give them an inch. And they were in heavy timber and they literally just give it to them. When they jump, they rip them down and get them in. Like there's some pretty cool tactics that like some of the guys that really knew what they were doing, um, were using on them. Gussie, many, many years ago, I went up to Kenora and yeah. uh, I had a similar experience as you probably experienced. You know, I got to meet all of your buddies, um, you know, the Stooner and Goozies of the world and Kessler and all those guys. Yeah. You know, that fish up that part of the world. And um, I took from that, there was this dude who showed me this little hair jig that became a big thing. Um, and, and that was one of the things I learned from that. What did you take from this? Is there anything you took from this that you're like, I can't wait to see how this plays out on Okeechobee or on Lake Erie or wherever? Yeah. Um, for, for me, definitely um, just the way, like some of the different ways these guys were using electronics over there, like 360 mandatory equipment. Um, and they're, they're using it to see fish. And I, and I know Carl, um, 
had a lot, has a lot more confidence in it than I did before. Like I, I love 360, but I'm using it just to see grass or see yeah. where the rocks are. Um, but pretty interesting the way that like for most of those guys, that was more important than forward facing sonar to be able to see the fish just because they're moving fast and, um, and just to see how they related to like the weed edge. And it was pretty, pretty cool. Um, but, uh, that was, that was for sure. Like the, the biggest thing that I learned, like I got some, I'm excited to utilize that, you know, in when I get going in the boat again here in the new year. Is it easier because of the size of the fish to, to do that? Will it be more challenging bass fishing? Um, yeah, a little bit, but no, nah, it'll, it's, it's going to be relevant for some bass stuff that, that, uh, and you know, like I love to fish offshore and use electronics. Um, that's definitely like yeah. my strength. And, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to, to get to do that. I'm actually going to bring my boat down to, um, is it Hennessy outdoors, Carl, yeah. but a guy mm -hmm. near where Carl lives that rigs boats and, um, going to have them help me out with rigging the electronics, uh, and everything. So, uh, it's going to be all dialed for 2023. I think that's one of the things nobody talks about in the elite series um, or talks about a lot, but, but, you know, while the internet world is freaking out that graphs are costing people out of the game and everything, I, I don't know that they didn't notice bass boats and gas is expensive too, but um, it's not just good enough to put good graphs on your boat anymore. You guys are like dialing in the harnesses, the power supply, everything. And it's almost a must have on the elites now, I would imagine. Well, like quickly for me, and I'll let Carl add to this too, but like, it's our job. So we got to have, you know, everything's got to be perfect and the best. And, um, and for Carl and I, like, we don't have a lifetime of experience on the Tennessee river or wherever we got to fish down there. So you got to have all every toy and tool that you have at your disposal and use it. Like all these guys are, um, do you need five graphs or screens on your boat to catch fish absolutely not but if you want to compete on the elite series like uh, for me i don't ever want to have to go get a real monday to friday nine to five job um and that's my main motivation to like go catch bass and and you know remain competitive on the elite series so i'm you know you just try and do everything you can to to get the most out of all your equipment your boat and electronics and tackle everything so yeah, no, what Gussie said, I just think you need, you know, to be these days now, there's just, you know, there's John Cox and there's a few guys that are very just specialized um, in certain things that they can do. But like that's fading away so fast, like because because of the up and coming anglers that the, the, the specialty guy is just is is not is going to be a thing of the past i think um in years to come you have to be incredible at every single technique every way you have to be versatile and um when you get out offshore you have to have all the equipment dialed in to be able to fish that perfectly and then when you go to the bank you have to have everything dialed in to be able to fish that perfectly um i just think we fish so many different arenas now in different times of the year um you can't just be like well i'm going there i'm gonna have to try and do this you have to be able to adapt and um that's you know everyone's like oh with electronics but you just that's got to be just one part of your arsenal and then you still have to be good at the rest too and what we saw over here um 
and even in Australia, we saw it is like certain guys knew how to catch these suspending barra. And we had, we, we were just on the water and our stuff wasn't dialed in with the boat. Like we didn't have everything like perfect. And with all of this forward facing and everything, they had it so dialed in. Like we had to, I said, Gussie, we got to just go because we can't catch them like this with, you know, how we were trying to do it. We had, I had to use 360 and mapping. That's how I knew how to catch them. And when we did that, we could compete and we beat a lot of the guys when we did that. When we tried to do what we weren't that good at, that's when, it, and you could watch these guys catch them right in front of you and you're just like, ah, oh, it's just right there. But I'm like, we've got to do what we know how to do as well. So it doesn't matter how much you got at the same time. I think you got to be versatile. You got to have everything in your arsenal, arsenal perfect. And then you've also got to do what you know how to do best as well. Yeah. Yeah. Versatility is in many things. I mean, and, and I think um, you have to be versatile in communication and um, I don't know if I'm supposed to bring this up, but I heard that Gussie got very versatile and communicated with a lot of Australian <laughs> anglers in a way that probably he wouldn't maybe do at a seminar in Alabama, but, but it, it worked. Um, are you guys willing to talk about that? <laughs> it's Carl's story. <laughs> basically <laughs> in the word that gets said in australia a lot um <laughs> um gussie had learned every different way to say that word by the end of the trip and uh he got a he got a 101 aussie version of how to use that word in every different scenario and uh and towards the end he basically called everyone a bunch of good things and uh the whole room Bunch. absolutely yeah absolutely lost it and uh that was the perfect way to use that word in australia and that they uh they absolutely loved gussie like the 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 aussies um just gussie just adapted so well um they just he loved trying the different beers everyone always had a beer for gussie they wanted to talk to him they wanted to ask him about canada and wolf hunting and gussie's and fishing and gussie's asking them about everything and he was he was the highlight of the trip you know um for for everyone because he just adapted so well uh just got into like the 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 shit talk was thick and heavy uh every single day so he adapted well to that because there was in our house that we had there was zero serious talk when you came in it had to you had to be like on fire ready to go or they would just bury you and like they gave gussie no like intro it was like straight in <laughs> as hard as well, you could go <laughs> one of the, the the best one liner of the week of the whole trip for me well I, I don't know if it was the best there was a there was a few good ones but um the, one of the best ones uh so tommy woods partner josh lowry they they, they they you know they were like the guys to beat in most of these events so the we beat them in the first tournament so we're like just giving it to them, you know, like, and, and, and we think we're pretty good. Like we're going to beat these guys all week uh, in the second tournament and then they really beat us in the third tournament. So going into the last one, Josh go and, and he owns a tackle company over in Australia. Um, Samaki make, they make a lot of really cool baits and, um, it was a really good guy. And we, you know, we all got along really good, but he goes, we're, we're going into the last event and he goes, Boys, I'm pretty effing good at math, 
and you guys are effed. <laughs> and uh, it was like, yeah, that was, that was, it was just said at the right time. And um, that was one of my favorite, favorite lines of the, of the week. You don't have to be good at math to figure that out. Um, an awesome trip. Um, unbelievable experience. How soon do you want to go back? I, if I got invited to go back again next year, I would for sure go, but yeah, I'll be, if, if, if I get to go back, I'm, you know, I'd be, I'd be in any time for sure. That, that the travel, what you said before and the jet lag is the only thing, but you, you forget about it and then you book another, you know, you go again. And um, what, after doing this trip, I look back and think about what I did when I first got over here. I flew into America four times in one year. I flew back and forward to wow. Australia and back to America. I did it four times. And, um, that, you know, it nearly killed me. But um, jet lag is, is, it sucks. I forgot to ask Gussie about it. And we, we talked about it yesterday. He's like, dude, I don't know if I've slept a week for a week after. And what jet lag does is your body thinks it's daytime which it is uh, after you've been flying for some reason that way like whichever way the world's spinning this is what's kind of freaky is when you take off i think to australia the world's spinning away from you so the plane is chasing australia and so it's longer going that way and then when you fly back to america the world's spinning towards you so it's the the trip is actually shorter and um wow yeah that's freaky and so going that way screws up that whole flat earth thing yeah that way (laughs) of the um the hemisphere when i land you land in the morning and i just get straight into living in australia and that night i go to sleep and i wake up early and you're ready to roll and and gussie kind of had the same thing pretty good coming back this way you land you're just worn out from the massive flight and you, you just all day, you're just so tired. You can't believe it. You stay up. I know what to do. I stay up till 11 o'clock at night. And I mean, exhaustion isn't even the word you're like, you can't even say a word. You just, if you blink, you're going to fall asleep and you fall asleep, just completely exhausted. And you wake up and you're like refreshed. You just feel like you've slept 10 hours and you're like, oh, and you look at your clock and you've been asleep for an hour and a half and you're like, (laughs) Uh oh, and then that repeats, and you can't get out of it, and then you just feel like you're on another planet for like two weeks, and trying to break out of that cycle is near impossible. And it's uh, it's that's the only thing that sucks. You're gonna have to endure that plane flight and uh, the jet lag on the way back. But totally minor, worth it. Minor but problem. Worth it. Yeah, pretty minor. Did you get at least a good seat on the way over there? Did you? get one of the fancy pods or anything like that it no. looks so good it looks so good like no. i just i'm just like okay now what do i have to do in life to get into one of them pods that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal that's that's 100 the goal if you could fly in one of them pods it's it's a no-brainer that's what you got to do we've got to figure out how to get us all in one of them pods next time we're over isn't it amazing how depending on where you are like I mean, you'd never pay that much for a little space like that in your house. But when you're stuck in between two people and you're, I flew in one of those pods once on a flight to California and um, they upgraded me free of charge. It wasn't, I didn't pay for it, but I was an idiot. Like the whole flight, I was so enamored by the pod and all the features of the chair going up and down and the back rub and all that. 
cookies and ice cream and stuff. They get, I had embra- I didn't sleep at all. I embraced it and, and used the pod the whole time. So I probably bothered the other people trying to sleep, but um, yeah, I don't know, good. man. I, I, I don't think I'm, I need to be tranked if I go on that flight. I think, I think at some point I'm, I'll get mad at everybody. Why are you chewing so loud? <laughs> it would- yeah, that was, there was some people coughing on our flight. I think Gussie had the same thing and you just, you yeah. cramped up and it, um, it, it gets a lot in like, you know, you could, you can take something, knock you out, have a, they give you free drinks. You got movies. Like it's, it's, a, it's a better flight than normal. It's a bigger plane, but you'll like sleep and then you'll wake up and you think, Oh yeah, like I've had a good sleep being on here for a long time. And then it's like, you still got six hours to go and you're like, Holy heck, this is uh this is rough, but um, yeah, it's, um, like it feels that's, like that's the only on, thing, but yeah, you feel like you've been on the plane forever, and like on the TV, they got a little, a little line. Oh, on the that sucks. Going how far you've gone? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, like, I hadn't looked at it for a while, and I look, and I'm like, oh, six hours only down. We still got ten hours to go. Like, it feels <laughs> like you've been on this thing forever. Um, or you, you we, know, like we, oh, had, we, we had a. We're going over Hawaii. We're almost, you know, like are we halfway there? And like, no, not even close. Wow. We had a 10 month, we had a 10 month old baby with us. That was, uh, (laughs) that was made it even more interesting. How did that Uh, go? We got pretty lucky. Like they give us like a, um, like a cot thing that folded down in front of us. Oh yeah. I've um, seen those. Yeah, so we had that, and uh, on the way over, we put her in there, and she slept the whole way. Like we did everything right to where, like, got her to about that bedtime, put her down. She slept nine hours, woke up, we fed her, and she went back down. We got super lucky, but after almost five weeks in Australia, she was a lot more alert and wired to she'd grown, you know. And so I tried to put her in there, and she grabbed the handle and pulled herself up, and she was looking back at all the plane, and people were laughing, and she's like sitting in there looking around and she had a little meltdown and we couldn't get her to sleep and you could tell people were just like oh no is this gonna be how the whole flight's gonna go <laughs> but, uh, we got it we, we got it down and uh it was it was pretty good kayla's an absolute savage so she makes uh she made life easy otherwise never be able to do it awesome trip awesome memory and i, I hope I hope to be able to come with you guys at some point because I mean, I, I, Carl, you know, I've talked to, and the weird thing, every yeah. time I hear you talk about ABT, that's where I met Carl. Like that, I knew yeah. first time the I, I forget when we first corresponded, but many years before the elite series, you were, you were the hot shot there. You were, you know, kicking butt on that circuit. And it, it to me, it's one of the coolest circuits out there because the teams actually shoot each other did they not like it or back then they did there was two man teams but one would i would i mean i think i cracked the code um only one would be fishing at a time is that because the other pro is shooting them like they're actually the camera person too no no that's not how it was but it was there were some teams events but yeah you're talking about afc which you watched i think on wfn channel didn't you was yeah 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 Canada? yeah yeah and so um it was kind of like that but it was individual ones as well but yeah i never forget like you had just taken over the elite series um and you were doing um you you had just started and so you were becoming and i and i just started to fish the opens and then uh and then you messaged me i think just through facebook and said hey man i'm watching what you're doing um keep it going and that was something that was super special to me back then because i was like holy cow dave's watching and you'd you'd 
seen me um, fish on the AFC, which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I've known both of you guys for a long time. I, I, one of the things that I want to talk to you about, bo you both are different in the way you represent a country. It, you, you know what I mean? Like very few anglers on the Elite Series get to experience what you guys experience. Does that motivate you? Is that an extra pressure? Or do you even feel any of that? Do you just feel like you're another competitor on tour when you get to the Elite Series? Uh, for me, I mean, no, you definitely feel it. Like if, and, and it's the same for both of us. Like if we're doing good in, a, in an event, um, the local, you know, the, the home country, uh, definitely rallies around it a little bit and, uh, and they show up, you know, like you just see it on social media and you, all the messages and, um, no, it's awesome. I, I appreciate it for sure. It's not, it's not any more pressure. I mean, the one thing that you have to, and I've kind of, I, I guess maybe, um, you just pick this up as you go, but like you, the highs and Carl said this many times is like the highs are so high and the lows are so low. So you just, when I w weigh in and walk off the stage, like that day's done, um, tomorrow's a new day and, and you just got to go, whether it was good or bad, you, you go start over tomorrow. And, um, you know, I, you can't, I, you just see a lot of good anglers come and go in this sport. It's ruthless and mm. you got to kind of just be grounded a little bit and not, not, uh, you know, just go catch them again the next day, whether you did or you didn't the day before, but I don't know. I, I appreciate all the support that we get, like all of us from Canada for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, it doesn't, it, I don't think it adds any more pressure for me. Yeah, it's definitely super cool. You know, that's um, the the interesting thing is when I when I when I was sixteen, when I was growing up, I that's this is all I wanted to do. And when I would come seventh in a tournament in Australia, like I would nearly cry because I would be like, "This is what I'm gonna do," and I'm like failing. Like I this I had no other option. Like I have to do good. A lot of pressure on myself just when I was in Australia. And so when I actually left and I'd done. I'd fished my whole, a lot of my career in Australia. I thought I was going to lose um, that support because I had built a good support and I had shown a lot of people that, hey, I'm going to try and make a living out of fishing, which I'd been told I could never do. And I thought when I moved to America, um, it's that's all like washed away. I've like lost everything. And uh, and what was cool is the exact opposite happened. The uprise of social media started to come in, which was the best thing ever because I got to actually show people what I was experiencing and um, Australians wanted to see exactly how we are just speaking about Australia right now. Americans and Canadians want to hear what Australia's like. That's how the Aussies are with America and Canada. They want to see the lake, see the experience, Bass Pro Shops, like me walking into a Bass Pro Shops was just mind blowing when I first got here. Like I couldn't believe it. And, um, and so, but what happened is that I got more, way more support than I could ever imagine that it was like the Aussie going against the Americans type of thing. And that we've got an Aussie in the mix now and that's how it is. And that's, that was a big motivator for me, especially when I was failing, which was all the time year after year, it was like, I can't let my country down, my family and the people that are supporting me, like quitting is not an option. And, um, each time social media and the Aussies got behind me, that was, that was, that meant a lot to me back then because, and it still does now, but like, that was the only way of seeing like, holy cow, there's a bunch of people that are wanting to see me succeed. And I was used to the other, the teachers, the people, 
the general in Australia saying you can never fish, that's not a thing, you know, this is, you're going to be a stop go man. And then all of a sudden I'm actually doing it. Now people are encouraging me saying you can do it. That, uh, that meant so much back then. So um, when I see that Aussie flag in, uh, in the classic, like that's, that's so ridiculous. It's not even funny. Like I wish people could just, just know like how ridiculous that is. It should I should not be there. It shouldn't even be possible. It's so hard to do and to think back of what I did and to come in and then it's all happening. And now there's going to be an Aussie crew, an Aussie army in the stands is, is so stupid. It's just like anyone can do anything if they really want, because that's going to be a special moment. No matter what happens for me, it's going to be wild to see. You, you guys are both living proof of that, you know, and I, and I use, both of you in examples, I, I use Takumi, lots of different people, but, uh, you know, where people are like, man, this, you can't, I mean, if you're willing not to give up and both of you have hit points in your career where there's probably people looked at you and said, the sensible thing to do right now is give up. But yeah, oh, yeah. What, what, I mean, it was giving up just not an option for you guys. I mean, for me, yeah, I, I, I went to university, I was kind of on the keep mom happy program, didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, when I got done, I worked for like three months for a contractor buddy of mine um, in the winter. So like from January to through March, basically. And, you know, didn't know how to do anything. So I did all the shit jobs, carry drywall up the hill, carry shingles up on the roof. Uh, and it, you know, quickly realized like, I don't want to have to do this. I want to go fishing. And, um, he, for me, it's just been a do many things. Uh, I do, I still do a lot of outdoor writing and photography stuff, but I've, you know, thousands of guide trips over the years. Um, but tournament fishing is like my favorite thing to do. And, and I, I mean, I've caught a lot of breaks along the way. You kind of have to, um, but regular guy and uh, I get to fish on the elite series at the top level. Um, and Carl said he dreamed about it when he was 16 years old, like same, same for me. I mean, I, I can remember being in high school when the first boat wraps started coming out and like, I would like scour the internet just to see, um, man, those boat wraps are really cool. And just like weird, <laughs> like weird stuff like that. But I've lived, you know, like lived fishing has been, uh, you know, or a fishing lifestyle has been a, my goal since I was a little kid and, um, have been able to, you know, do it, do it this far. I just turned 40 this year. So, um, you know, just gotta, my goal is just to continue, um, avoiding having to get a real job. Um, that's, that's, like I said, my, my big motivator. Carl, um, man, you've had a lot of times where, the sensible thing would have been give up. I mean, literally like it's it, it, your career. Every single time it seemed like you were getting traction, you know, oh, here he goes. Yeah. Your truck gets broken <laughs> into yeah, something else. You got a visa issue. Yeah. You got to deal with what kept you so strong this, <laughs> this whole time. Um, I, you know, you, you hear this a little, a lot is like, I've never ever had a plan B. This was always, um, 
my passion for fishing is is beyond what anyone could ever imagine from when I was a kid when I when you talk about passion I, I was going into the tackle store in my hometown at 15 begging them for a job and um and they wouldn't give it to me because they didn't want to pay me because I was too young and I said I'll work for free and uh and I worked for free in the tackle store um every on the weekends every day I could and the guy the owner handed me a, a feather duster and I I dusted the tops of the lures off and the shelves and like, and I couldn't believe I was working. I was in a tackle store doing that. Like that's how I was. Um, and, and that's the only way I think you can make it. And it, it, the, the motivation side of things has switched. And this is what, this is, I, I hate that humans can do this to someone, but they told me, people told me no so much and were so negative and were so mean from kids to teachers to family, people I knew, that's, that's some of the worst. Um, friends, it, telling you that you can't do something, that made me dig my heels in so much. I didn't want to, if I failed, they were right. And I hated them for all of those things so much that I'm like, I can't imagine that I'm going to prove them right. I'm going to quit. One of the, one guy that was a big influencer in Australia and he was a big in the fishing tackle industry. He might wrote me a message and said, um, you're just, it's a, you're just, you're spending every, you're spending people's money on a pipe dream. That'll never happen. I never forget that message that he sent me. And I was like, the blood like ran at me because I'm like, no, I'm here because I want, this is what I want to do. And just his idea of what he thought he was projecting on me. And so I, every time I went, I would fail. It meant so much that I had to just dig my heels in and say, I've got to figure out how to come back. And what was interesting is it all flip-flopped to where my motivation is now the people that want me to do good, that want me to succeed. And so you, if you believe in yourself enough, eventually people start believing in you. But I had to believe in myself enough to get me there to where it actually switched to now. There's find someone that's telling me I'm not going to do it. Like if I say I'm going to win the Bassmaster Classic next year, there's not going to be many people that might say I don't think you're gonna. Like it's it's a it's a diff because I'm like I'm gonna. They've I've done it enough to where you, you've flip-flopped it over to where people are like far out. He's going to, he might actually do it. And uh, that just took, it took 10, it was 10 years just here, 10 years in Australia. It's a 20, 20 years of like um, just total dedication with no plan B at all. There's no other option, but to, and um, it's tough to, um, to figure out how to talk to Aussies because Gussie saw it, Tommy Wood and all of these kids and younger guys, they are just looking at me to, they want to do it. And I don't even know where to start. I'm like, Phew. what do I, what do I, <laughs> what do I tell them, you know, and I want to encourage them. And I was, I, I want to help Tommy. And I gave him, I gave Tommy my email, my phone number, I can hook you up. And I, he said, what do I need to do? And I gave him my genuine thoughts. This is the mistakes that I made. This is what I think you need to do. And I gave him a really good, like mapped out plan of like, just come and experience it, put a three month window on something that's achievable and all these things. Cause when I came in, I had a big chunk of money. I sold my truck. I sold my boat. I saved for a year. 
I sold every single thing that I owned and I put all, and I, and I did fundraisers and I put all this money into the account and I flew here and I had no contacts, no idea, no things that I'm doing. And I spent all that money flying back and forward, doing all these things that weren't like advancing me. And so I learned the hard way. And when you say like, I've had a hard road with those knockbacks, that's all from like not knowing what, I was doing really. So I kept running into these things. And as you get older, more experiences, the less that happens because you start to build. But um, so I'm trying to show these young fellas, like this is the path, come in for three months, have a good, decent chunk of money and come in and go as a marshal and every, like put this bracket on where you can come in and watch the classic, go to three marshal events, fish three opens as a co-angler, fish as a pro in a team's event with someone like, and just get this three month big window and then go back to Australia and say, okay, I learned from that. Now, what am I now? I'm going to build and I'm going to come and do it again. And then you would, you were maximizing, you're getting a lot of experience for your money, but they have so many questions for me. And, you know, I, I like that I've been through the ringer a little bit because I have good experience and good stories and I'm able to speak of it. It didn't just all get handed to me. I had to do it the hard way. And now I can hopefully help someone, you know, because of that. Yeah. I think that's the coolest thing that's happening. And I always talk on Bass Live about the international invasion or whatever, but you know, and you look at it like it, there's more international anglers winning on the elite series now than there ever has been, uh, you know, and you got to include Takumi and, you know, uh, yeah. a lot of Asian anglers, you oh. know, three Canadian anglers, but it's, it's also the Tommy Woods, the Jamie Bruce's, the people that were inspired by you guys, you know what I mean? And that's that to me, like you guys trail blazed a trail, you know what I mean? And, and, Gussie, you didn't do it alone. Obviously, there was other Canadian anglers, um, and we the Johnson brothers, and mm -hmm. but I, I just think it's realistic. What you guys have made realistic. It's not easy. It's going to be oh. hell, and that's why you dudes cry when you win trophies. I always say that. I'm like they they're not crying now because they're so happy. They're crying because <laughs> I finally shut that idiot up who sent me an email and told me I can't do it, or that guidance counselor, that school teacher, whoever that just said. You know, that's the worst thing I think we teach kids nowadays is uh, don't be a dreamer. You know, don't if, if at any time in history you can be a dreamer, it's now because because the yep. world is smaller than it's ever been because of social media. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, my our first time crossing paths, Dave, and maybe it wasn't the very first time we met, but my very first time going up on stage to do a seminar was with you. You were in Winnipeg, Manitoba, close to where I live. Um, at a boat show and you came there for many years and um, I got to go up on stage with you I was probably like maybe 16 17 18 I don't know somewhere in there um, but uh, yeah I got to go up and do a seminar there was a tank you know so we yeah. just got to stand at one end and um, you know it, it, that, I'll always remember that and um, but we've had we had a lot of good times there over the years a few late nights yeah, a few, few late nights a lot. See, that seems to be a pattern. It doesn't matter where you fish. Winnipeg, my I like to have fun. I always yeah. like to have a good time. You have to. Um, when it's time to be serious, you you do. You got to be serious. But uh, but no, I'm always up for a good time. And and I love bass fishing, obviously. But you can any kind of fish that want to bite. I mean, look, this is outside my 
window right now. It's probably oh. whitening out. It's probably a whiteout, but uh, we're frozen. Um, and, and if, you know, I'm, and if I got a new snowmobile, I've had the same snowmobile for like 10 years. I got a new one that's going to be ready next week. And uh, so I'm like extra excited to go ice fishing here very soon. You're a sick, sick man. I live in Canada and I, I do not have that same addiction, but, but I mean, our lakes are just starting to freeze. That isn't it. Like I I've often said that I wish we had like actual winter, like we spend so much time in between, but you guys that live winter is actual winter. I mean, how, how thick does the ice get on, on in your uh, part of the world? So on, I live on Lake of the woods, big yeah. giant lake a million acres. Um, one of the best, multi-species lakes fishing lakes in the world and in in mid-february we will have you know between 36 and 40 inches of ice probably like over three feet of ice you could put the whole you know city of birmingham alabama on lake of the woods in the winter and it wouldn't even you know might might slush up a little bit from all that weight but uh but no the ice we get real winter up here and uh if you love to fish and be outside and, and hunt and do any of that, I mean, it's a great place to live. And I, I, it's funny. I, um, a lot of Southern people are just like, why, what could be fun about drilling a hole in the ice and dropping a line down there and hoping you catch something. But like a lot, we, you know, we got a lot of walleye and crappie, lake trout, big Northern pike. We catch all those fish through the ice. It's one of the best places in the world to do it. And like, when we go out, we catch fish. It's not like you go drill a hole, sit on a bucket and like, hopefully a fish swims by. I mean, we, we use the mapping and the sonar and all the toys. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just love to, to be outside and it's not, I don't live in a very convenient place to fish on the elite series. I mean, we had lacrosse, Wisconsin was nine hours from home this year. And that's by far the closest like pro tournament that I've ever fished. I mean, everything is 20 to 30 hours for me to get to. Um, but I love it. And, uh, again, I just, like, I, I feel pretty lucky every day not to sound, uh, you know, lame or anything but like i i do consider myself lucky every day to get to get to do what i'm doing but uh but i love i just yeah i love being out there so i'm gonna i'm gonna ice fish a bunch over the next month and a half and then by the end of january i'll be ready to head head to florida and get back after it in the boat i'll be fresh and um ready to come and take somebody's money <laughs> are you uh is that the next trip i mean now that he carl's brought you to australia is carl coming ice fishing I, he's gotta, I mean, yeah. I, I, I've told Tim price before that all the, everybody on the hummingbird pro staff should have to do a mandatory ice fishing trip because they, I mean, we sell a lot of good ice fishing equipment, the, the flashers. Now we got, you know, you can use mega live and 360. They've got that set up to use on the ice. Um, and I think that that should be mandatory. Like all the hummingbird pro staff should have to come and do an ice fishing trip up here. I've uh, I've actually never done it, so I'm uh, I'm super excited to uh, to go ice fishing. I'm always like I want to go with someone that knows what they're doing. So I trust Gussie enough that the ice is thick enough. We're not going to go through, and uh, I want to go I want to go on a moose hunt and a wolf hunt and uh, catch some things through the ice, and that'll be my Canadian experience. He's got to trade me trade me uh Then he's the guide this time. I guided him on the barra. He can guide me onto that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
and, and you'll love it because I always say that that one thing that makes snow and ice enjoyable is the fact that you know you're leaving in a week. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference. When you live in Canada, you're like, eh, it's here and it's not leaving uh, anytime soon. It's a long, long winter, but it it um, it is it is a unique, different way of fishing that. Um, um, I mean, I just feel I don't drink enough to ice fish. Maybe that's it, Gussie. <laughs> hey, I'm the best case scenario for for me up here is by the end of April, I might be able to see the grass in my on my lawn in places where the you know the sun's really hitting it and melting the snow. But um, but yeah, we usually don't. Our lakes don't usually open up till like early May, and that's again like best case scenario. Some this past year was we had one of the worst winters ever. I think it was like middle of May before the ice went out even. Um, wow. So it's a short season, but the, the, the fishing's really good all, you know, all the time up here. And, um, yeah. Was it wait, was it weird going from the summer straight to the winter Gussie? Did you like get a shock? Was it like, Oh, <laughs> Oh yeah. So summer. like Winnipeg, Winnipeg is one of the coldest places on earth. Like at least where I live, we have, we're Pet like winter peg. <laughs> yeah. Winter peg. Um, we've got some Hills and we've got a lot of trees, but, uh, where Winnipeg is, it's like the start of the Canadian prairies. So the wind always blows. It's flat. There's no trees. And uh, it's, I mean, every time I jump, step off, a, off out of the airport there in the winter, it's just like, I do ask myself, why do you live here? And, and how could like my ancestors have come here? Like, you could have went to Florida and like, this is where you came. But, but the summers are beautiful and, uh, you know, lots of good people. Uh, so it's, I, like I said, I, I always have a good time. Yeah. I don't have a lot of rules in my life, Gussie, but one of them is I don't live wherever you need to plug your car in at night. And I do live in Canada, but we do not plug our cars in, but they do do that in Winnipeg still. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Every, if you buy a vehicle up here, you get a, there's a little, uh, plug in <laughs> sticking out the front of it to plug it in at night in the winter, or it might not start the next day. It's like a block heater uh, that just keeps everything, you know, fairly fairly warm, so your engine will turn over in the morning when you go got to go to work. <laughs> That's wild, Carl. How jacked you might you, you might need to use one of those one day. Who me? Yeah. Why? I don't know, but maybe you will. You're laughing about it, but I, I mean, I just that don't far from like <laughs> the super cold weather either, bud. I know, but you're the you keep me sane. That's what that's why I'm glad for people like you because I'm like, well, I mean, if I was the coldest, I'd be like, well, I, I'm the idiot. But I'm I'm like, well, <laughs> it's not and, like Gussie's. And hey, you're also a hummingbird pro staffer, so you might be included in the ice fishing adventure as well. I, I used to ice fish a lot, dude. Like I literally really used to ice fish a lot. And I think it's just like when our, when ice fishing starts to get good here, like you're ice, you can ice fish now, right? Yeah. Basically. Uh, lake of the woods is, um, there's still some open water. I think like it's not the lake trout, the real deep stuff takes a long time to freeze, but there's a lot of the smaller lakes. My little lake out here has been frozen for, you know, a month probably already. So yeah, you can get out and ice fish already. Yeah. So when we can ice fish here for the most part, like when you get safe ice, um, it's like the lake I live on, ice fishing season always opened uh, at New Year's Eve, like at midnight. Yeah, and, yeah. and it was rare that people would be out there. You know what I mean? For the last number of years, it's like a week or two after that. 
so basically it's like second week in January, first week in January. And then I'm like, well, in two weeks I'm leaving for Florida. And it, you know, I feel ice fishing is a lot more interesting when you don't have an option. So thank God bass has saved me from doing a lot of ice fishing. Speak. So what, like, you don't get asked a lot of questions. It's your oh, yeah. podcast and everything, but like, what's the, what's the, favorite part of your job that like i mean you're traveling all over the place and being at all the events like what's your favorite part of the job oh that's a it's you know it seems like a simple question but it's really tough to answer because i mean i love my job i love i love being part of bass i mean i just like you guys i grew up dreaming of bass you know what i mean and at one time i wanted to be in the classic but i always even when i was a little kid i was like man it'd be cool to announce that like i was a weirdo growing up that like every time we went to like a theme park or anything and the person like even in a museum like a boring museum the dude who got up and gave the speech when i was a little kid i was like i want to be that dude like i want to be the guy that you know does so that's cool the weirdest thing with me and bass is you know, early on, I realized that I don't like the lifestyle that you guys have. Like, I just can't, couldn't, I'm I'm a homebody. I need to be home more than, you know, you guys will go away for months at a time. And yeah. um, so in my early 20s, I was like, yeah, no, I'm going to focus on TV. And, uh, and it went pretty decent. You know, I, you know, have made a living out of it. And, but I go to the classic, like every year working for sponsors. And I'd be like, I'd sit and watch the way in and every year I'd be like, did I screw up? Like, did, should I have focused more on tournaments? Like, not that I think I could have dominated, but I figure I could have made a few classics and whatever, you know what I mean? And then just such a weird turn of events. I end up, you know, getting my dream anyways, you know what I mean? So to me, it's my favorite part of the job is probably it's not the job. It's, it's the relationships. It's the hanging out. It's the moments that you get, you know, on the road with different people. But it, I mean, I love to be part of it. I just love to, I don't know if there's a moment or a time, but it's funny. Cause at the end of the year, I sometimes I, we'll do a thing with our family where I'm like, what was the best moments of your year? Mm-hmm. And, and I've done that several times and it's almost never, announcing somebody winning <laughs> it's never that yeah. you know what i mean but i love yeah. that part of it i love that yeah. i'm have got it but it's just it's just been to overstreet tell you a funny story about being a hillbilly in Al- in arkansas yeah right? yeah no it's just it's it's i love our group i love i love the story that we get to paint and and i do get a freakishly weird i love watching the evolution like i loved watching you know, you come like literally when you got announced as, you know, one of the three Canadians that was coming to the elite series, people were like, well, who's this Gussie guy? And I'm like, this Gussie guy is going to be your favorite before this is through. Trust me. And you, you know what I mean? The amount, just because I know the person you are. And, and I love the fact that like to see people go every week at the classic, when I arrive, I sit and stare at that room and I'm, it's weird because it's almost never the person you pick too. Um, I'll be like, somebody's life is going to change like this. Like I'm going to watch somebody and they might not win this event, but it, it might be Brandon Paulnick's first classic where he went from a kid that nobody knew 
Mm-hmm. And then he blew the cursor whistle and he did all that stuff in his sixth place. And all of a sudden you're watching this guy start to rise. So it's cool to be involved in some of that. Not that it's bass that makes the, the anglers, you know, it's that media machine, but it's cool to watch that go. And, and so I didn't answer your question. I'm not good at answering it, questions. Yeah, I got clearly. another one. But oh boy. This I is- got another one. Uh, so Larry Nixon's one of my favorite all time oh, yeah. pro anglers mm-hmm. and is of a lot of people. And like, I've got to know him a little bit. He'll throw an F bomb around and like fits in with everybody. Awesome guy. Uh, have you been practicing how you're going to announce his come up on stage for the first elite event? No, I haven't practiced it, I, but I have, I have, um, I, I hope don't, I, I don't sit around flight. practicing dude. Like I don't, I don't like, <laughs> You actually don't. No, no, I don't. I mean, years ago, I probably did when I was a kid, but I, I like, I, I, uh, what true story. Listen, I'm gonna this, ask this is my insanity that is going to be leaked out here right now. There's only one other individual on earth that knows this. So years ago, when I was trying to, uh, MC some events in the States and I'd done a bunch in Canada and I was trying to kind of break through the States. Well, there was a rumor that I was going to go and do this event in Alabama. And I had talked to some people and um, I thought I was going to do this. So literally like I was all jacked and I was literally driving. I can't believe I'm telling this freaking story. I don't think I've told my wife this story or anything. So we're all nuts. All of us, just so you know, if you don't think you're nuts, you are everybody listening to this. Every one of us is nuts. We just act normal in front of people. But um, I'm a little more nuts. So I think I'm going and swindles in this tournament. I've got like a list of a bunch of anglers that are in this tournament. And I'm going to be going and MC in this tournament. And um, I, I don't even have the job yet. But that's how excited I am. So for whatever reason, I'm driving. And I'm like introducing Gerald Swindle and introducing all these people. Like I'm going through. And I went on for 30 minutes. Like, dude, like just like, I don't know why. What's that? Like while you're in the car driving? Yeah, just yeah. all by myself in the car driving. Yeah. And then um, after 30 minutes of me introducing all these people, I looked down and realized that um, somebody has been on this call the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> so Darren Jacko, um, <laughs> who is in the Canadian fishing <laughs> industry, got a full glimpse of just how insane I am. But I mean, I don't practice anymore, but I did practice. And that's probably why I don't practice. Cause I, one time I did try to practice it. Um, it backfired on me, but it was like the, you, the most you're like, what, what you've been doing that moment when you look and you're like, like when you look at your phone and you pocket out someone, always everybody's like, Oh, what did I say? Well, I knew exactly what I said. <laughs> I said all sorts of crap about all sorts of pros and all sorts of stuff. And it was one of the most, and you're like, well, do I hang up or do it? I didn't hang up. I just, yeah, just, and, and his exact words. I remember you are effing out of your mind. <laughs> I'm like, That's well, dude, awesome. what kind of friend wouldn't hang up? <laughs> oh that's awesome so, yeah that was wow. the last time i practiced i can't believe i just told that story guys i've never i don't even think i've told sarah that story to be honest like because it was just one of those moments that it's better left in the past but um but that's what mate you know that's the things that people don't see all the behind the scenes like just even knowing um that you said you 
uh, were watching those people as a kid, it just makes sense then because you're like, how did you end up with that job? But like, that's not by coincidence, not by anything. Like you, that's what you inspired, wanted to be and went after it and did things like that in the car later on, which like in turn makes you the best MC there has been. And um, that's, 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 it. it from our point of view, Bassmaster does an unbelievable job and it's all of us all together. It's a accumulation of everyone. But like a lot of our dream is to have you announce a lot of the opens guys coming up. It's like to one day hear you say our names, say all of the stats behind us. And it's that's a part of the dream, like how important your job is, is you make us feel like superstars without that. Um, I, I, I remember when you first took over the job, um, who was the guy right before you? Keith Allen. Like his voice and the way he did it, he'd done it for so long that when you first, I just spoke about this this morning. Um, when you first, I was like sick, like it's changed. Like how, how could it ever change? Like you, you, were, you knew that his name, like he was going to be the one, how he presented it, how he called and um, the way that you just like came in and took it over and in instantly everyone was like, holy cow, this is like, and then it wasn't long until it was like, this is how it's always been. And you couldn't see it being any different. And the way you rattle off everyone's stats and you, you just, you, you honestly are just such a huge part for our sponsors, for us, our family, the people watching, you make us all feel like superstars and keeping that energy and what you're doing and, what you did for Fear My Heart, I try and tell all the lead angers, like tell Dave um, what you want to do because you came up with Walla Beast, <laughs> which was, <laughs> which I was awesome. I Beast. <laughs> but I was like, I don't know, we call, we call people Wallies in Australia. So that was it just had Beast on the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the one. <laughs> and, uh, and I said to Dave, um, after in 19, when I came back, I said, hey, I want to talk to you about this. Fear My Heart is where I really want to go and I want to incorporate that. I don't know how to do that. And uh, Dave was like, leave it with me. And, um, and then that was it. That's all I said. And then the very first tournament, 2019, St. John's River, I'm idling through and we're going the first tournament. The elite series has changed and it's back and I'm back on the elites. And Dave's like, the only Australian to make it on the Bassmaster Elite Series. And then he went, fear my heart. And then my name and like the hair stood up and my neck, I got goosebumps. I was like, holy cow, that's awesome. But I wasn't expecting that, you know, and you were able to somehow figure out how to put that in there and make it work and that i think a lot of elite series guys and a lot of opens guys need to talk to you about that because that that makes that makes a big difference yeah it's it i mean i hate hearing this stuff just because i'm not i'm very bad with public um compliments <laughs> compliments um i'm horrible at even getting gifts i don't know about you guys but like i hate like my birthday like the I just hate getting gifts like and, the, and birthdays are worse because everyone sits around you and like my reactions never right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I have a hard time. But but that's honestly what you just explained. Because I can't say it because it's me because you sound like an arrogant dick. But that what you just explained is the coolest part about my job is is watching things become a thing that shouldn't even yeah. be a thing like Seth fighter llama. Why yeah. should that even be a thing? But it's a freaking thing. And people show up dressed as llamas. It's yeah. it's awesome to me to the, the, 
Um, and it, that's to me, the coolest thing about, about my gig, but it, it um, but it's fast, dude. It is. Cause one day I won't be doing it and somebody else. And for a little while, it'll probably sound like, Oh, who's this new guy. And he'll get hated on chat boards. Like I did. Um, and then after a while, um, yeah. People ask you to sign the words that you said that they made fun of before. It's weird. Um, it like just you want to you think you've because I never had hate in the Canadian industry. Like Gussie, we both kind of grew up. You were young guys, you know, that grew up in the industry, mm -hmm. and they were very supportive. And I bet same thing with you, Carl. But but you want to find hate? Just go say boom shakalaka on the Bassmaster yeah. stage, and, <laughs> and you will find out that. You have rubbed some people the wrong way, but yeah, I mean, it's always pushing. It's cool to be part of the team. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's cool to cool to be. Um, it, it's a weird, weird gig, but I, I'm thankful somehow. Yeah, it's I've, the it's the story. This is what Bassmaster and what you do and what you work with Bass. It's the story. It's people's lives. It's not the fishing. It's not catching them on the jig. It's not. It's not as much as that as like people follow it because they you guys bassmaster tells the story the best and you add to that because you do your research you find out about the person you end up friends with them and you know those inside details about their family how they came up the struggles that they had and then you're able to tell relay that story perfectly over onto live onto the bassmaster shows and that's what people follow they love the story you told Seth's story gussie's story my story so many brandon's everyone's and when you tell that story that's what gets you fans people following you for life without that you're just a guy in a jersey fishing you have to be able to tell that story and between you and bass and everyone in there they tell that perfectly and i hope we never lose that because that's the most important over the fishing techniques the catching them the winning all of that you have you don't capitalize on all of that unless you have that story told and so um, I just hope we never ever lose that because that's what we've got over all the competition is telling the story. Bass is always in. Jerry McInnes was the king of the, of the, I mean, that's the one thing that he is, everybody that has ever worked for Jerry, he's, you know, all about the story, find the story, whatever the story is, tell the story. Like what, what mm. I want. And, and, and that's, and that's the cool thing about, I mean, if you look at this podcast, for example, I mean, this podcast talks about less about fishing of any fishing podcast there is out there. Like, literally, yeah. I haven't even asked you what kind of lures yeah. you were throwing for, you know what I mean? You got, obviously, I knew you were throwing a swim bait because Gussie's wasn't running, right? But, but it, honestly, to me, that's, that is the story because everybody, you know, that bass is a dream. You know what I mean? It's the same dream that, that Larry Nixon started chasing that Roland Martin yeah. started chasing you all chasing that dream. And, and that same story that you were given by a person in the industry, Carl, that said, you'll never make it. And Gussie, I'm sure you've got a bunch of those over the years. Mm -hmm. Everybody has that. And that's the one that that's, that's why that moment, that winning moment is so special. I think that, that it, it's just a cool it's a cool way to make a living. I'm thankful for, I don't even know how, like, thank God for Mark Zona and Kevin Van Dam, because I literally just one day said, Hey man, if Bass is ever hiring, it'd be cool. Um, if you threw my name in the hat and wow. it, it, it's, 
not to get all Oprah, but if you want something, throw it out there and it's amazing what yeah. will happen. So um probably gonna finish this podcast and find out I got fired. <laughs> we'll make uh, this all very uncomfortable. What was the most okay? Now that you put me in an uncomfortable <laughs> position, what's the most uncomfortable position you've ever been in your life, Gussie? Uh <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Jeez. You never just yelled out Angler's names for 30 minutes while your phone was connected to a friend? <laughs> no, but like when I was a little kid, I can remember like carrying the garbage out and uh, pretending it was like a big sack of bass. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Carl? What's your most embarrassing? Oh, I don't know. I've definitely had some food. Just being a, just wanting to fish in Australia was, uh, was enough. I was just, I was the awkward weird kid that fished all the time. Um, but yeah, I'd have to have a think embarrassing moment. I don't know. I don't know. There's been plenty, I'm sure, but yeah. you, you grow up pretty hardcore in Australia. I wish like Gussie kind of knows, like there's no serious conversations. You have to have a thick skin in Australia. Like my best friends, tell say the worst things to me possible like that it's that's what we do like it's funny like that's when they're friends like when people say hurtful stuff that you don't know or whatever that are doing stuff it's different when you've got true friends around you and you're just ripping into each other like the most hurtful stuff you could say like that's what Aussies sort of do and Canadians are kind of the same I've seen and you know it's a lot of American anglers do it too but nowhere near like it's harder to find where Aussies and Canadians tend to just talk so much crap it's just that's what makes it funny it's like giving it to each other all the time it's not many serious conversations so getting embarrassed wasn't uh was was pretty tough to do in Australia <laughs> a lot of chirping a lot of chirping mm. goes on it um I I, it, I remember when when we first launched the facts efficient TV show, we did this whole, we rented out a big movie theater and had like a premiere for it and invited everybody from the Canadian fishing industry at the time. So there's like 500 people that were there and it, we preview this show and it was kind of pretty different at the time and, and stood out and it was a great event. But I, so I, I wore, you know, a suit and everything. And you know, I'm, this is, I'm pitching this to the industry. And I remember that exact experience you're talking about. I remember like going from group to group afterwards, you know, hi, thanks for coming and whatever. And then like the last group I went to is like my closest group of friends. And like, I hadn't even said a word, but as soon as they saw me, they're like, you know, what sucked this and this and this and everybody else had told me how great it was, but then, you know, you're home when your, your buddies tell you how much you suck. So, um, a, a few, a few of my real good mates that I, I'd been friends with for years and fish with Steve Morgan and, and Timmy Morgan, his brother, he was fishing as a team. Like, I mean, we, it's just, it's just a full on you know they just give it to you and like they don't forget they know every tournament result everything that happened every time they beat you and so once I knew we're all going to be in a group and we're going to be together I'm thinking of stuff already and so I had in my back pocket all I had was was that before I won an elite series event or after and so no matter what Tim said or any like I had to have all of these things in my back pocket so when he's when they brought something up I'd say is that before the elite series win or after and they just hated it so I had to have those you have to like be ready 
<laughs> Gussie knew that by the end because Steve's given it to Gussie about beating him in the Baratour or, you know, and <laughs> oh, yeah. already. And I'm like, Gussie, you got to just, you, you got to just come straight back and say, was that before Timber event where we beat them? You've got to have those wins in your pocket because uh, you just don't survive there if you can't handle a bit of a uh, bit of banter back and forward. A little trash talking. All right, trash talk each other for the classic. Which one of you is going to win? <laughs> well, Carl's not allowed to fish in the canal between the two lakes, so he might be halfway right off the hall. Because he's put a he's put two lines to stay, fish anywhere but in here. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone, any of the competitors are in there, then uh, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna hear about it from me. <laughs> how yeah. many? You th- how many you think will be in there and pre-fish? A lot. Yeah, I think they've all been caught out of there by now, so <laughs> they're probably wasting their time if they go in there. I'm yeah. going to check it. I'm going to go and spend a week or two here in the next before the cutoff and uh, be interesting to see how many boats I see drifting through there. Probably a few. Yeah, I'm sure it's pretty busy there nowadays. Um, and it'll it'll be exciting to see the classic coming up. And um, I think we're done. Are we done? I mean, we've, we've, we, I've ridiculed. I've, I've opened up more than I ever... Freaking Gussie, you're not nice. You know what? I started this off wrong. Carl, you're nice. Gussie, I don't know why I told that story, but I feel like it's now I've given people ammunition to just say things. Keep uh, practicing whatever. while you're driving. Like I will. Right. I will. Yeah. I will. I will. What? I will. What? You don't practice at all. What? Dave, you don't practice a little bit. Yeah, oh no, I don't practice. What? How can you practice? Like, dude. It let's hear like stupid. a let's 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 just hear like a from B Branch. That's the only thing I know that I because I, when I had him on the podcast, I'm like, I, he lives in like Lincoln, which is he said like the literally the same town. It's like the other side of the street is B Branch, and I'm like, I want to introduce you as B Branch, and he's like, yeah. well, you can do whatever you want. So I I mean, he'll I'll be given the general the B Branch, but I mean, I haven't practiced it. Why Why do you want me? To, it sounds weird anywhere, but. He, I mean, I think it sounds right. horrible on stage, to be honest. What no, about you're, you're, you're the best at what you do, so keep it. What up. about what about when these opens guys come in? How much like study do you do on them? Like, what? How do you know the stats and everything? How do you keep all of that? I used to not have to study at all. Ronnie, does <laughs> the last work. number of years. No, I did do a lot of studying, <laughs> dude. Like, I mean, I'm looking around the office. I don't have anything here now, but I like I'll show up at the classic with a book that I've lit. For me to learn how I learn a lot of things, I have to write it down. Like even like reading is one thing, but I literally have to. It doesn't have to be physically right. I can type it down, you know, text it, whatever. But that's part of the thing. So I'll go through and and I'll do research on each angler as much as I can. Like so all the new guys coming in this year, I'll do some research on them and and I'll have stuff for that. And I'll have I spend quite a bit of time because and here's the thing. Ninety nine percent of the crap you never use. But you never want to be in that situation where you're like, because when you do want to use it, when it makes sense, you need to, it doesn't make sense the next day. It makes sense. you got to know that moment. So um, I do do a bunch of studying, but it, but it's, I mean, it's, I go to websites and read stuff and, you know, have conversations with fishermen. It's not like, um, it's not, not hard. I mean, it's amazing how committed I am to studying this crap, but if I had been that committed to studying other crap, um, school would have been a lot easier for me but i mean you want to know about them you know what i mean i want to know like 
your history and where you came from and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I mean, I spend a bunch of time. I, I spend before the season, I'll probably lock down for like a week and I'll, you know, I'm pre I'm, I say pre-fishing, but like I take a lot of notes on anglers. Like I'll find things or hear things. And I'll just put them down and then I'll take a week where I'm like kind of locked in on that's all I'm focused on going into the lease series. And then I'll do that again, going into the classic, I'll spend a bunch of time. And, and the only guy who's got more notes than me is Tommy Sanders. Every year at the classic, I'll come in with my little do a tang put together. And, and Tommy's got, Tommy's so good at his job. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible how good he is, but he keeps more notes than me, but he's to talk a lot more than me. What about what's just one last thing before we go little conversation, like where do you think bass fishing's at with everything? And like, from your perspective, what do you think we can do as anglers or where do you see, what can we improve? What, where do you see bass fishing right now? Do you think it's in a, a good stage growing stage? Do you think we can get better at stuff? Like it'd be cool to sort of hear. Cause I just, I know you want to see it grow. I want to see it grow. I watch UFC, you do, and I see the way other sports do stuff. And I'm like, how can we make, how, how can we make it better? What, what can we do? I think that, um, for, first of all, I think that one of the biggest problems in bass fishing is that it's never happy. Yeah. It, we spend way too much time talking about how to get it bigger and don't spend enough time looking on how big it is. Yeah. Um, and, and I remember a conversation I had with Mike Otten, who used to fish the Bassmaster top 150 at the time and uh, produce classic patterns. A good friend years ago, I remember leaving the 2006 Bassmaster Classic and we're in like this shuttle bus leaving the Classic and we're heading back to the hotel where we're staying. And he turns to me, he's like, you ever think it's pretty good? And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, do, do you ever think that like the bass fishing world should just be like, we fill up an arena. Like I get it. We don't charge tickets and stuff like that. There's negatives you can poke up, but there's an arena full of people. People line up hours before to get in this arena and watch growing men in fancy shirts, hold up fish and freak out and scream. And every one of those people in those seats understands and loves what we love. They get it. That's why you see people crying when somebody wins the classic and not just the anglers. Like one of the yeah. coolest things I get to see every year is when Christy won the classic, I'm looking at the crowd and the amount of people that are crying because it's their dream too. You know what I mean? So, so that, so before I go into like what I think could be better, I think sometimes we need to focus on it being pretty good because you know what, yep. who doesn't give a crap about growing the sport. Most of the listeners to this podcast, they just want to hear about the behind the scenes and stuff like that. They, they, they most of the listeners to every podcast, they're listening for whatever reason, whether it's be educated on baits and different things, but they want to get some info and it, it doesn't need to be turned into, um, a union situation where we, the truckers or, you know what I mean? It just, yeah. so that's the first thing that I think that, that we all should be happy with. And then the next thing is, and I've said it for years is I think we got to be more real. I think yeah. e e e bass fishing has had this persona persona of everybody's nice. Everybody gets along and in any sport, me and That's you are a prime example. Like you said, we're big MMA fans. We watch you. There's very few 
UFC pay-per-views that me and Carl don't text the whole way through it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's always like, he's like, I'm picking this guy and I'm picking this guy, but there's none of that in fishing. You know what I mean? So I feel like, like, and I think it's getting there. I think because of social media and things like that, it's getting more there because of live. You're seeing the realness, like nobody can be fake. Like, and, um, but I, I think that the more real it can get, the better it gets and, and the more it continues to grow. I don't think it's a great thing that, that our sport is fractured the way it is. I, I don't think long-term that works out for any sport. Uh, I feel like we're kind of just re back to where it was. Like yeah. at one time there was the FLW tour and there was the Bassmaster Elite Series. And everybody used to say, man, if this guy and this guy and this guy would come over, it would truly be, and they came. And then, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. the, the elite series may have been part of its own demise because it became so hard for everybody to get paid. Because when you look at the the list, like who doesn't get paid, not who yeah. wins, but who's not going to catch them this week. It's pretty tough to pick anyone. Um, so I don't think it's great that the sports fractured and I, but I, but I also look at how quick everything's filling up. There's so many anglers. Like it's like it's overrun. It's like the best thing that's happened yeah. in this sport is college fishing. You know, so um, I think the sport's in a good spot. I just think what what the UFC angler, the U, UFC not anglers competitors still complain that they don't get paid enough. Yeah. Yeah. And we look at them and we're like, man, that'd be, they, they've got some good stuff going on over there. Yeah. Ultimately, there's too many anglers. And when it comes to the end of it, I mean, everything in life is like real estate. You're worth what, what, you, what yeah. the comp, you, you know, the market. You, if you, if there's one of your type of house available, it's going to be worth more than if there's a hundred of them. And in fishing right now, there's a lot of different circuits. There's a lot of people trying to make a living from fishing. Um, so I think it's got a good future, but I think it's not, it's, it's never going to be easy because you're doing something that, um, everybody wants to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, um, where do you guys think the sport, this is going to be the longest podcast ever, but who, who cares? I mean, yeah. It, if, if you're tired of this, put on pause, go to bed, come back tomorrow. We'll still be talking. <laughs> it's my, I'm a, I think I'm officially on the longest one I've ever done here, Dave. But, oh, uh, me too. Me too. Trust me. I have needed to pee for the last 45 <laughs> minutes, but that's fine. That's fine. No, I, will... I think we're in a pretty good place. We had a meeting at the end, at our last event of the season in lacrosse all the anglers with um you worst know, time of year to have a meeting with anglers by the way yeah maybe at the was, end of the season i was surprised at like how whiny and crybaby a few of the anglers were about stuff like we all want to get paid more everyone does in any job that you do but for me i mean it's like where else are you gonna go uh, and there's you're kind of at the top um, make, you know, make the most of what you're given. And you look at somebody like Swindle or Brandon that are, you know, really on top of the world with everything. And they, it's just, you know, it's like anything, hard work, um, do your job and be original, be creative. And, you know, you can, you can do well, but, um, I don't know. I'm, 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 
like I said, I just feel like really lucky and happy that I get to to be part of the elite series. It's it's a dream come true, and it's hard to get to. It's very hard to to be part of it and get in. And uh, you know, obviously, there's things that can be better, but I don't know. Not big on the whining. Yeah, I. Th- you go. Go ahead, Carl. Um, yeah, well, I think that's the what the one the problem that Gussie said there is like, where else are you going to go? And um, and so what for, the biggest thing is like what we're all doing is like st- thinking that um, MLF is taking the shine off this or this is going to like there's enough for everyone. And it actually we and people want to see people fail from both ends. And that's the last thing that we need. We should be all in this together. And it should be trying to, to make the sport as good as possible, which it, which it is, but like what it is, is getting more popular than ever and nowhere to go. So like the, the difference between UFC um, and fighting and the best thing that's ever happened is all of this competition coming up underneath it, Bellator, PFL, bare knuckle boxing, all of these ones. When you drop out of UFC, you have an even better contract, a better pay and even a bigger thing to go to and continue your career on. And um, right now, if you, if it's so detrimental to your life. If you get kicked out of the elites, like the, the next step is like, it's back to the very bottom of the pack, uh, just grinding with the guy that just jumped in that year. You're with him, but you've been in here 10, 15, 20 years. That's the only problem that I see. I want to, I, I just want to see where, um, the less arguing that they're taking this off us, sponsors getting divided. There's none of that. There's enough for everyone. When you look at it, there is enough for everyone. And if we build it all up, there's just, you want to have that. If you've built a solid career and you've been in the elites for 15 years, or you've really gotten after it, you need that tear down where you can continue your career. Like what FLW did for me. Like I got kicked out in 2016 because I, I made it too early. I wasn't good enough. I got fed to the wolves and was like, holy cow. Then I got relegated, but I was still able to compete. My sponsors stayed with me. They kept, they were all happy. And I was able to become a better angler, still compete for decent money and survive and then get back onto the top tier again. So as long as we fix that, um, leading up i think that's the main thing stop the bittering the fighting that they're taking this work all together make sure that there's some better tears down so that when you're if you happen to get kicked out of the elites it's not so detrimental to your career you can go away and keep you keep all your sponsors keep them happy and continue to fish for money and um and then work your way back up into the elites that's the number one thing that we need to fix yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I agree with that. And I, th- I think that, I mean, I think that, um, you know, tournaments are weird. I've always thought that tournament fishing in general are weird. Like, you know, you see people entering different things, golf tournaments or whatever. And it's almost like it's not even just when you get to the top level, it's from the first event you enter. like a tournament angler picks up a piece of paper. That's going to tell him about a tournament. And he starts trying to dissect, dissect what's wrong with it. Where are they screwing me? You you know what I mean? Like there's a real yeah. weird perception of it, but I, I agree with you. Stay, stay positive. And I mean, did, nobody ever succeeds when their number one focus is negative is to, we got to, I mean, t- training to be yeah. better. 
than anybody else in the world is one thing, but training to just try beat one person or to, I mean, it's it just, it's an, it doesn't happen. And I think that, um, uh, I, here's a weird wonder. I mean, and, and, um, by this time, nobody's listening. So I'll, I'll throw this out there is part of the problem with the sport. And I love the fact that Larry Nixon's coming to fish the elite series. I love the fact that Rick Clun has never left the Bassmaster elite series, but is that part of the problem with the sport? Because when you compare us to other sports like UFC and things like that, and, and I'm just throwing out a hypothetical question here. I am not judging because like I said, Rick Clun is one of my idols. I mean, Larry Nixon is incredible. All of these guys, there's no shutoff button in tournament fishing where mm. in other sports, like in the UFC, in the time you've been a fan, there has been champions that have had dominant reigns and are no longer even part of the picture because yeah. their lifespan is so short. So you're able to funnel in and out where in this, because you don't make that much money, you know, I mean, I'd say most people are probably making more money than they thought they'd make at a regular job, uh, you know, when they get to the top, but it's, it's a job still. So you need to stick around a long time. Is yeah. that part of the problem with it? I, I don't know. Mm. I, and I, and I think everybody wants everything like, Dude, the, the bass changing to nine events to qualify and how much that got roasted by the public. And that was literally to stop things happening like what happened to you in 2016. Yeah. People were coming and you were destroying careers because they were qualifying too early. At nine events, you're tested. At nine events, you're tested both financially, mentally, geographically, all that stuff. And the public roasted bass for it. The other thing that bass tried to do was cut the field down to 90 anglers. And that was also 100% for the anglers. Like, it, I mean, if I have to introduce another 10 guys, that doesn't, oh, this is exhausting. I need to get out of here. Uh, it's It's not. That's for the anglers, but the anglers pushed back on that and didn't want that. So it, it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, really, when you look at it. Like, how, how does it – I think it's pretty good where it's at, but, but I think you're going to have to work your ass off your entire career. And if you're coming here thinking that it's happily ever after, there's no such thing. Yeah. And, and there's no such thing in, in my line of work either. In anybody, yeah. like if I show up this year and don't put any effort in or whatever, yep. what happens to, to what I'm doing? You know, it's the same with every job. Um, yeah. yeah, when you look at it, really, we are working to slowly make it better and, and continue to grow it. But at the end of the day, like it's no different to no matter what you're in, you're going to have to put 100% into it every single day and work your butt off and especially to do something like as big as trying to be a professional angler or the top tier of any sport it's going to take your entire life of dedication and passion yeah. and effort to even you know get there and so we complain about it but if you make it too easy then it's easy to get taken over too like i like the fact that it is difficult and i want it to be difficult i want it to be easy for the net like an aussie to come up and they're just like oh the next australian that does okay he's in the elite series like imagine you know and i'll be like what i had to go through all you know that's how a lot of people say like 
okay, it's, it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's just, we do, uh, fishermen do complain a lot. And a lot of it is because of the double-edged sword that you just spoke about is there's guys making millions of dollars in fishing right now. And there's guys that are going into horrendous debt and losing their homes and families trying to chase a dream that might never happen. So that just the spread of um, diversity in anglers is probably in any sport, but it's very big in the fishing where it's like there's a the little tier at the top and then the opposite end is is a harsh harsh reality that some a lot of guys are going to go through and there's going to be a hundred guys or more that are going to go through it next year when they fish nine opens all across the country and don't make any money they're going to see what it's going to be like and that's what it's like for us but the entry fee's five grand not 1600 or 1800 so that that puts a you know it's going to give them a taste of whether they want a piece of this or not and if you don't the one thing i tell the aussies or any kid in america that asks me if this has to be the only thing you ever want to do it can't look pretty it can't be like nice it has to be like i can't survive live without being a bass fisherman or fishing it has to be the be all end all of your life you're only happy if that's what you're doing and then you might have like a slight chance of making it I think that's the way in a lot of sports though. It's just, this doesn't have the top end payoff. And, and honestly, the fans that watch this and say, well, this or that, you can fix it. Watch, watch everything bastard. Do you realize why hockey players get paid a lot? Cause a lot of people watch football players get paid more. Cause a lot Mm. more people watch golfers, which we get compared to all the time. We don't, the ratings that a bass tournament gets the biggest bass tournament. I don't care what the Bassmaster classic doesn't compare to anything. Doesn't compare to the Tuesday interviews at the masters before the event even started. Like it's ultimately controlled on that end of things. You know what I mean? Like Mm. it's not, um, it's, it's to me, it's just so weird that like, I, it's not going to be easy, but, but, but it, none, none of those are like, they, they just seem easy because they have a higher payoff, you know, got to yeah. see how many great hockey players did you grow up with that, that honestly were better than dudes that made it. But when they were 16, they weren't quite as focused. And when they were 17, they got a girlfriend or they, whatever, you know what I mean? And they lost that moment of focus and they were better than them at one time, but everything in life is about work at the end of the day like you know how hard are you willing to work and those stories we fantasize them i think because because they get paid so much you know what i mean well so and so well that's worth it then but no at the end of those you end up on your ass not welcome in the dressing room you know what i mean like every retired hockey player will tell you it's uh, it doesn't matter what the sport is every person will tell you it sucks at the end. You know what I mean? It's a tough, yeah. tough. And in the whole way through, you're worried about your job. It's only the very, very few in any sport that get to walk away. And I think that in MMA, how often have you heard a champion lose and say, I'm okay. I'm okay to lose because yeah. all of a sudden for the first time after defending that title and being the, the hunted, having everybody chase you, there's a pressure that comes with that where you can like a buddy of mine retired from UFC after fighting for the title. And literally that's why he said, I know I could fight for the title again, but he said, I, I'm not willing to do, I'm not willing to put my family through that. I'm not willing to do yeah. what it takes to get what it took to get me there. 
And yeah. um, it's tough. It's a lot of hard work. But but I also think that like way too many podcasts spend way too much time talking about what's wrong with fishing and there's nothing freaking wrong with it. There's more people fishing today than there have ever fished. Yeah. Um, there's more opportunities for, I mean, how often do you hear in the bag line, people say things like, man, I wish college was like that when I was going to college. I wish they had that opportunity. So it's getting better. And and yeah. as long as we stay positive and keep it getting better, I think it's the right thing. I don't think you should be foolish and just ignore it. But I, I just think that negativity breeds negativity. And um, uh, yeah. I don't know. I've talked yeah. about a bunch of stuff. <laughs> Not, that's Gussie, right. you, and Gussie's like, I got to go ice fishing. <laughs> <laughs> we need to uh so we need to figure out how to get three or four elite series guys to australia next year for the barra tour and pair them up with uh locals and be able to do that tour next year it would be epic that's uh that's kind of the plan after gussie there it all worked well so that'd be yeah, pretty Tommy, cool if we could get gosh Peter, yeah. Benny, if you guys are listening, I'll Wood. be any of your partners. Tommy, uh, Tommy Wood. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, Tommy. There's some uh, inspiration for you. Mercer <laughs> on the stage saying Tommy Wood with something in between there. I don't know what it will be. He'll, mean, he'll I, figure it out. It's a great handle. I mean, I just think Tommy Wood is a um, – I mean, you can work. You can work, a lot you to can work, work with, with it a lot. <laughs> a lot to work with there. Um, all right. Well, I I think we're done. Uh, Gussie, you haven't said anything in 45 minutes, so tell Bob Cobb to take it away. Take her away, Bob. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Thanks, boys. Enjo enjoyed catching up. Thanks, Dave. Uh, that 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 was like an emotional roller coaster. I, I mean, we laughed, we cried. <laughs> it, it was very good. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment and subscribe because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to, you hear? <laughs>